You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 244th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 800th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 17th, 2022. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud... Banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. It's been a bad two weeks for Indiana basketball. The Hoosiers went from appearing like a potential Big Ten contender at halftime of the Illinois game to losing four straight games that have placed them squarely on the bubble and brought all the old demons from recent February's past right back to the forefront of the programs and its fans' wounded collective psyche. And while the responsibility for Indiana's recent swoon is multi-layered and not all the fault of any one player or coach, it is undeniable that one particular player's on-court production has had the biggest game-to-game impact on winning and losing. That player, of course, is Xavier Johnson. When Indiana won six out of eight games between January 6th and January 29th, X was mostly very good. Then February arrived. In three games played, X is 10 of 34 from the field and has as many turnovers as he does assists. He also missed a game because of a suspension. And yet one thing has remained consistent. X is in control of the offense and gets as many minutes as he can handle. This is partly because Indiana doesn't have another option with Rob Finnessy hurt and Christian Lander still ineffective. But it's also because Mike Woodson clearly prefers to lean heavily on his point guard to run his offense. And while he'll be demanding, he'll also give his point guard plenty of leeway to play through mistakes so long as the player is playing hard, which X pretty much always does. Why does this matter? Because we all know the biggest issue for IU basketball since 2016 when Yogi Ferrell departed has been guard play. The Hoosiers simply haven't had it at the levels they've needed it. And very few offensive schemes will allow consistent results in a conference with as many stable winning programs as the Big Ten without competent guard play. And if you want to actually compete for Big Ten titles, well, then you're going to need good to great guard play. And while Mike Woodson's sales job as a recruiter is going to be much, much tougher if Indiana misses the NCAA tournament this season, there is one point on which he'll be able to make as compelling a pitch as any coach in the country to lead guards specifically. Play for me, and the offense is going to run through you while you learn how to lead an NBA off or an offense with NBA principles, and it will prepare you for the next level. Indiana has had to live and die with Woodson's vision of point guard play this season because Xavier Johnson is a live or die kind of player. But there is reason to believe, or at least hope, that Indiana might be on the verge of having its most capable collection of backcourt talent since the middle of the last decade. Jalen Hood Shafino is a five star prospect, ranked as high I saw this week as number eight in his class. He'll arrive next season. Now, whether he can be an impact player from day one remains to be seen, but he's Indiana's best lead guard recruit 
since Yogi. The following season, Gabe Cups will arrive, a rock-solid four-star prospect who does pretty much everything well and profiles at minimum as a good rotation player for IU. Mix those two in over the next few seasons with athletic two guards like C.J. Gunn and Ja'Kai Newton, plus whoever stays and develops among Trey, Tamar, Anthony, and Christian, and you can start to imagine a program with talent and production weighted more toward the backcourt, which simply has to be the path forward for Indiana basketball after years of the inverse. So while we watch and hope that Indiana can still make something meaningful of Mike Woodson's topsy-turvy first season with Xavier's talented but unreliable hand at the wheel, I'm at least taking some solace in the fact that as much as the offense may make our eyes bleed at times, the guards Indiana continues to recruit, Miro Little, for example, will hopefully be able to see themselves taking that role to the next level. And once someone does, the way Mike Woodson wants to play offense will undoubtedly start producing more consistent positive results. It sure as heck needs to. All right, let me now introduce my esteemed co-host for tonight. Coach is off as he helps guide Western High School down the stretch of their season. But here with me, it is a true rarity on the Assembly Call these days, our three original hosts here together for an episode of Assembly Call Radio. And to my left, he is the Steve Peichel of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the world's most renowned bracketologists. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first-class bracketology, if you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. I love that song. Bob Thompson is awesome. It's Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the last week in IU basketball? Well, we'll talk plenty about bracketology, so I'll uh, I'll save any thoughts about that. But want to give, and I know uh, Jeff and Kathy just got finished uh, with doing the work before this, but the uh, women's team picks up a win tonight against Northwestern and move to eleven and two and stay atop the Big Ten, uh, heading into uh, three games left in the season. But man, do they have a gauntlet! <laughs> they play Iowa home and home over a, a three day time period. That's a lot of. That's a lot of Caitlin Clark for a team to see. And then they travel to Maryland to finish the season. So if they're going to get that Big Ten championship, they will most certainly have earned it. But uh, Mackenzie Holmes is back. So that's about as good a news as has happened to uh, any basketball floor in Indiana. Uh, certainly Assembly Hall uh, this week. So excited to have her back for a, a really uh, important stretch run. And no matter what, looking forward to seeing them in the Big Ten tournament, and the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, good to see them get back on the uh, winning side of things tonight and uh, hopefully get a little momentum heading into a uh, critical stretch to end the season for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Mackenzie Holmes being back. That is the true banner moment today. No question about it. To my right, ladies and gentlemen, he is a senior writer at the Big Lead. He is the president emeritus of the Earl Calloway fan club, and he is the self-proclaimed shot doctor who could improve IU's shooting woes if only Mike Woodson would just ask him. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. He's Ryan Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, now, Ryan, we've been listening to you rant a lot lately. I just had to listen to you rant on Crimson Cast, which is usually my sanctuary away from them. Uh, so why don't we go with a rumor today to kick off the show instead of a rant? What do you say? Uh, I hear a rumor that Indiana's in serious trouble if it doesn't beat Ohio State. 
Uh, that's not a rumor. That's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) Um, look, I'll keep this short. I I think that, you know, we've talked about it endlessly and I think that it's, this is a five alarm fire right now. You've lost four games in a row by your own making. I mean, you had, you were in the Illinois game and tanked the second half completely. Um, just trying to, you know, we, we even flew in for that game and you guys couldn't show up in the second half. So tank that. Had the Northwestern debacle. Michigan State just never felt in the game in that one. And then, you know, you play with Wisconsin and you collapse late. We've seen so many times this year. Indiana made its bed here. I mean, this wasn't this wasn't teams just, uh, you know, annihilating them or having a hot game. Even the Michigan one was you look back and you're like, well, Michigan got really hot and sort of ran them off the floor early. And it's like it's not excusable, but, you know, those games happen. These have been games Indiana's just not played well in. And, and they're doing it to themselves and they're collapsing late and guys aren't making smart plays. And, you know, you, you put yourself in this hole. It's nobody else's fault, but your own, that you're in this, that, that you're in this hole. And, and now you have to go do some things and, you know, it's a five alarm fire. We said it after the Wisconsin game, this is a five alarm fire and you better start finding ways to put it out. Uh, or this program is going to end up missing the NCAA tournament for the sixth year in a row. It's going to be yet another just – I mean, it. you missed the tournament six years in a row. You're essentially a bottom-tier Big Ten program. I mean, that, that's where you're at. I don't care who the new coach is. I don't care who what recruits you have coming in. Your performance says you're a bottom-tier Big Ten team, and that's unacceptable. It was unacceptable every time Archie Miller missed the tournament – it's going to be unacceptable if Mike Woodson misses the tournament. I don't care if who these players are, if they're his, they're not his, but whatever. You can have that argument all day long. But you cannot miss the NCAA tournament this year. It buries the program even further. And just all the buzz will be taken. That air will be taken out of the balloon about Mike Woodson back in town to bring IU to glory or whatever. Maybe he still does it. Maybe he eventually does it. But the, the buzz that was around Indiana that, oh, no, they're going to do this. They're going to get this right. That goes away. And people are going to start buzzing about other programs. So um, that's where we're at. This needs to turn around. There's no, I mean, it is an emergency that they need to turn this around. Okay. Well, coming up here on this week's episode, uh, Andy will give us kind of a bracketology reality check. And then we got a bunch of questions from you all here on this Ask Us Anything episode, uh, including several for segment two about how much patience we should have with Mike Woodson. So we're going to talk about that and why maybe we should turn down the rhetoric just a little bit. Maybe things aren't quite as five-alarm fiery and as much of an emergency as, as they may seem. We'll debate that. We'll talk about that some. Um, that is all coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. And this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison. And Homefield has something for fans and grads of other schools as well, considering their product line now extends to more than 120 different schools. They just added Illinois this week. And they've got unique vintage logos for all of them. And I saw Connor tweet out, you know, someone asked him, how many of your sales come from people purchasing clothing for a school they have no affiliation with? They just like the designs. And he was like, a lot. I know people on 
on the show. Uh, Coach has tons of stuff for schools that he's not even affiliated with just because they look really cool. Uh, But the other thing is, no matter what you buy, you know it's going to be comfortable. The colors are going to last through many washings. And you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly. And there's nothing better than that. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, uh, a couple quick programming notes here off the top. Uh, obviously, no show this weekend because Indiana's game against Ohio State got moved. So we will have a show after the IU-Ohio State game on Monday. Uh, Mark Titus, good friend of the show, host of the Titus and Tate podcast, will be joining us, as he often does, for at least one IU-Ohio State postgame show. I don't know that Indiana's ever won. Have they, when Mark has been on? I feel like it's always him like kind of holding back. <laughs> gloating it doesn't it doesn't feel like it (laughs) yeah so we're gonna try and turn that around uh as unlikely as that may be uh but it'll be fun mark's always entertaining to have on uh with his uh iu background as well and then uh doing the work hopefully you all have been listening to kathy and jeff uh on doing the work as they chronicle this epic season uh for the iu women's team and the women's team has a game Saturday against Iowa. They won't be doing a post-game show right afterwards. It's going to be Sunday at 4 o'clock. Uh, Coach Marlowe, I think, has a uh, a conflict. So just wanted to let you know they will be having a show, but it won't be until Sunday. And if you haven't been listening to them, make sure that you do because uh, they're really doing a good job. Okay, uh, Andy, let's uh, spend segment one. You sent us a really uplifting email uh, earlier this week uh, that was just a barrel of fun to read. So why don't you give us uh, the uh, it was his bra- version of one of my rants? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Why don't you give us the bracketology reality check? <laughs> Where is Indiana as we, as we head down the stretch? Cause we know there's enough games, you know, the, the season is far from over, but the, the road is going to be a difficult one for Indiana. Yeah. It's uh, th- there's, there's work to be done uh, for sure. As we, as we look at that and, you know, you said something about having to uh, ask us anything. I was really hoping for non-basketball questions to be, to be honest, but uh, I kind of was definitely, too. <laughs> some, definitely some good basketball questions. I, I would never disparage the quality of the questions we got. I just, you know, maybe, maybe vary the topics a little bit. No. Um, anyway. So, so you look at, I use resume right now. Um, they have their two and six in quad one games. This is all as of this morning. Um, with the two wins over Purdue and Ohio State at home, obviously. You know, the losses really outside of the loss at Northwestern are all to tournament-level teams, uh, most of which fall in kind of the quad 1A area. Uh, then you go to quad 2, IU 2 and 3 there with the wins over Notre Dame, which has proven to be, uh, I think, a lot better of a win than we might have expected it to be earlier in the season. The other one at Maryland, uh, they've played a little bit better of late, but, um, you know, again, not a, not a win against the tournament team. And then the losses there... You know, you've got the Michigan game at home, uh, losing at Syracuse, losing at Penn State. And so you look in totality at IU's nine losses, they all fall in quads one and two, but you have three of those that are against teams that aren't really in the at-large picture in terms of Northwestern, Syracuse, Penn State. Michigan is right on the bubble. I think they just finished out a win at Iowa, so that helps them a little bit. But, um, you know, it's another bubble team winning, so that kind of doesn't doesn't help IU very much either. So I think that's an important thing to note. IU has three wins against teams that would be in the field if it started today, uh, but three of their three and maybe four of their losses would be against teams that are not. Uh, then you move to quad three where you're four and zero, oh, and quad four where you're eight and zero. Oh, and the challenge there becomes you're now eight and nine against the first three quadrants, um, and part of that plays into a really poor non non conference strength of schedule, um, which is we've talked about kind of the entire season. 
is something you have to try to overcome. You don't want that to become a reason to leave you out of the tournament uh, and be on the bubble. So you look at those things, you look at the the quality metrics, IU rates better in those than the actual resume metrics. So the quality metrics are more the predictive ones like BPI, Ken Palm, Sagarin. Um, their average ranking there is just inside of 40th. Um, but the resume metrics to kind of look at who you played, who you beat, uh, which are KPI and then strength of record, the average there is 57, which I think add, you know, which I think makes sense. I think from a metric standpoint, IU looks pretty good. The defensive efficiency is is solid. So those are things that kind of make a case for you to potentially be in. Um, but if you average those two ranks together, and I sent you guys a, an article um, that Lucas Harkins, one of the guys who's been on the uh, fielding the 68 show that I've been on um, a couple times, ha- had written in it. You know, there's not a ton of history with the net. Uh, so he went through and looked at the you know couple seasons that we have seeded it and basically said, if you gave equal weight to your average quality metrics and your average resume metrics, how closely does that shake out to where um, the the field would be seated? And it it for the most part was pretty close. So IU ranks like 44th if you if you take those and average them together, which really puts you right at an 11 seed, right on the bubble, which feels about right for right now. Um, the other thing that he noted was the closer you get to the bubble, it feels like the more the resume metrics come into play, which doesn't help IU, but makes logical sense in terms of if you're trying to put teams in the field, you want the ones who have, you know, played better against better competition. And so, uh, you know, so things don't look great from that standpoint. I think they're still in the mix. They're not out of it. Um, I haven't really looked at what my seed list would be for tomorrow. I think they'd probably be last four in type territory right now um and then you look at their remaining games so they've got two quad one opportunities remaining at ohio state on saturday and then at purdue on the fifth you got two quad two games uh, at minnesota and then Rutgers at home that has become a quad two game as Rutgers has played so much better and then your quad three game left is the maryland game at home so you know in my view you really any of the losses to minnesota or maryland and Rutgers is on the bubble but you, you really probably have to win all three of those and try to find a way to get yourself another quad one win, particularly away from home. Doing that gives you two more road wins, which helps would give IU four road wins on the season, five away from home if you had the Notre Dame game in. So that's kind of what it looks like. It uh, feels like a tall order. I know anybody watching this team and saying, hey, they need to go four and one. Everybody is just like probably just shut this off and and perhaps rightfully so. Um, but that's, you know, that's really what they're up against. Um, the the you know, one of the bigger challenges is they just don't have a lot of wins against the field. So even though some of the metrics look good and they don't have bad losses, at some point you have to beat people. And that's no different than what like a North Carolina is facing. Their metrics are pretty good. Um, and up until last night when they got spanked by Pitt at home, they didn't really have a bad loss. They just didn't. But they also had they were 0-7, I think, in quad one going into that. So um, I use probably in a better position than that because they at least have beaten a couple tournament teams. Um but kind of a little bit of the same deal just without the horrific loss. Well, oh yeah, I did say, oh, sorry, Kathy got me the chat. Yeah, the Ohio State game is on Monday, not Saturday. I still have the original schedule in my head, so sorry about that. Well, that's a good reality check. I mean, look, Andy and Coach, what they do at Delphi Bracketology, you know, as good as it gets. So, you know, look, Indiana had an opportunity to pick up one of these games, in the, you know, out of the last four. And unfortunately, kind of the most winnable one that, uh, you know, that game against Northwestern, they didn't even have, you know, all their guys. And so it was a big missed opportunity. And now they've got a lot of work to do. And we are going to find out if they can do it. Oh, Ryan, I do want to hit Kathy's question here real quick before we get out of segment one. 
She says, if we could go back in time, would you have us lose to Purdue if it meant we finished top five in the Big Ten and squarely in the tournament? I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. Hundred um, percent. The you know the goal is coming into the season. Number one goal was get back to the NCAA tournament. It was the most important thing that could happen this year. Um, number two was break the stupid streak to Purdue. Uh, and so, you know, you would, you would certainly, that, that win is great and it's meaningful and it's an important, you know, achievement for Mike Woodson in his first season, but it's not more important than making the NCAA tournament. Nope. I don't think it's close. Honestly. Yeah. I don't, I don't either. I would definitely have rather been in the tournament. Yeah. Cause here's the thing. If Purdue was terrible and you lost him, it's like, if you lose to the number four team in the country, you're like, okay, you know, you know, I mean, making the NCAA tournament is far more important to this program. Yeah. That's that. Andy, you agree? Yeah, I, it definitely. I mean, I think after that, in the aftermath of that game, everybody was inclined to think, well, you wouldn't need to make that trade because you were playing well enough to beat them. You would be, you know, you're going to win enough other games to be fine. I feel like we actually had a question almost to that, um, you know, to that same extent. So yeah, I, I would, uh, I would, I would certainly agree with that. Yep. Okay, coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, uh, we turn it over to you. We collected a wide variety of questions about IU basketball and other topics, and we are going to answer them here on the Assembly Call, beginning with one about Indiana fans and patience. Talk about that next. Stick with us. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right. Well, hello to everybody who is here. Nice to see us here in triple digits for the live viewers, despite the, uh, the rough times and the losing streak. It's good to good to have you all here and have this have this time each week to vent and try to make sense of what's happening and step outside of the micro focus of each individual game and try and take a macro look at what's happening, which we will do here tonight. Yeah. Yes. We will. Yes. Hey. Um, where are Indiana ninth in the Big Ten right now? I believe so. I haven't checked the updated. Yes, uh, I don't know. I, I haven't looked we after uh, after Michigan and Iowa tonight. Who won that game? Uh, Michigan won by five. Yeah, Iowa really came back there for a stretch and had a had the ball with the chance to chance to tie it. Michigan was kind of trying to foul up three, and Bohannon got by the first guy, and then kind of acted like he got fouled. I don't know whether he did or not. Uh, ninth, one game ahead of Penn State. Yeah. Two uh, bigger brain fart. Chris Weber calling timeout in the championship game or Jawan Howard leaning down to pick up a loose ball that was rolling on the court tonight that was still in play. It's still Chris Weber, but bigger fab five bad. brain fart. <laughs> the stakes were just a tad higher in the Chris Weber <laughs> scenario. Jared. Just, just a tad, just a tad. 
That's a, crazy. a mid-February so, game at Iowa or the national championship. <laughs> you decide. Andy, Andy, if the tournament was today, would Rutgers be in? Yes. I, I think they would be. Okay. They, they've just got so many more good wins than everybody else. And like yeah. you can complain that they're, you know, they're, their net has gotten dramatically better. They just played so bad in the non and really played really bad for like a week where three of their four worst losses came within a week of, of one another. But yeah, I, I don't know how you would. I mean, they're a game and a half. Both out given the way. Yeah. Like, both mm-hmm. given the way some other teams in the bubble are playing and just the, the volume of wins and the, and the quality of the wins they have is better than most teams that are in that, uh, in that range and and I know some other teams good. have stubbed their toe too like losing to lafayette at home is obviously terrible um but i that that doesn't undermine everything you did they're kind of punished for that in the metrics enough and yeah um would be there well, so yeah I, just, I would have them in at this point it's just crazy they're five and one against top 25 teams like i know that doesn't matter in the end because teams that are ranked you know it, it matters where they shake out not where they're ranked at the time but still you go and place top, yeah. top twenty-five team, and you're five and one against them. That's the same record as Purdue. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. crazy. Oh, they got something going there. Um, all right, let's hop in to segment two here. Uh, here we go. Hi, this is Jawan Morgan. What's the only thing better than getting IU's first triple-double in 47 years? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Jawan. Welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris. And in addition to Home Field Apparel, tonight's episode is also sponsored by the Superior Insulators, owned by longtime listener and IU season ticket holder Brad Brosmer, who we got to meet at our Switchyard event last week. Uh, not last week, it was a couple weeks ago now. Uh, he was nice enough to provide refreshments for everybody there. It was great to meet and, uh, and talk to him. You know, we've been telling you about all of the great work uh, that Brad's company has done, installing air barrier systems and spray foam for the IU Excellence Academy and how they also worked on the IU Football Locker Room, Marching 100 Hall, and many other buildings on campus. And that work is all the more impressive because they aren't even based in Bloomington. But now, thanks to a recent acquisition of spray foam insulators in Bloomington, they're going to be able to grow and service the Bloomington market more efficiently through local teams and support. Uh, and it comes you know, with their uh, a long-term objective. It allows them to achieve their long-term objective of having a physical presence in Bloomington, uh, which would be great for the assembly call to have a physical presence in Bloomington one of these days. Uh, we need to work on that. Uh, so if you're anywhere in Southern Indiana and you need residential or commercial insulation, visit insulators.com to learn more and schedule your appointment. That's insulators.com, I-N-S-E-A-L-A-T-O-R-S.com to learn more. Uh, and thank you, Brad, as always, for your continued support for the show. All right, <clears throat> let's start getting to some of these questions. And there was a real theme with these questions. Um, and so we're going to hit you know, kind of the most often asked question and kind of the most off-discussed topic in the chat mob and in the community right off the bat. So Joel says, I've had quite a lot of patience with the previous coaches, uh, but I just don't have that same patience with Woody. He has the coaching resume that the previous coaches did not, and I refuse to make excuses for his coaching performance this year. Am I overreacting, or did he underestimate how hard it is to coach in college basketball, or maybe just maybe he isn't that good? Uh, Ari said, how long should Coach Woodson get to be successful? Hopefully it all works out, and I believe it will. But do you give him four years minimum like Archie, or do you pull the plug after two or three if things are clearly not going well? How much patience should fans 
have? And it's a really interesting question, you know, and I think one thing that we are noticing, we've noticed it amongst ourselves, I think we've certainly noticed it out there among IU fans, is there, there is less patience right now with the Woodson era than there was with the Archie Miller era, in part because of just what has built, you know, and you know, Mike Woodson has stepped in here. He is a new coach in his first season, but everything that happened before him has really left a mark, you know, and has left people just feeling a little bit less charitable and a little bit less willing to wait and kind of go through growing pains with a new coach. I fully get that. I understand that. I feel that, you know, anybody who has listened to us on the post game show understands some of the criticisms that we've had, some of the issues that we've had, some of the fears that we've had, but I've really tried to spend some time over the last couple of days wondering if that's right. I mean, just because we feel that way and that's kind of our knee jerk reaction as fans, that doesn't mean that it's the right way to treat Woody. Um, and, you know, Ryan, you said something earlier tonight that I thought was really interesting. You know, you said these last four games, you know, Indiana did it to themselves. You know, they lost these games. They did it to themselves. And that is partially correct. In the sense that, you know, Indiana didn't make plays down the stretch in these games. They certainly did the Northwestern game to themselves by having five players suspended. But, you know, that also ignores the fact that the other teams did stuff too. And I think one thing, no, 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 let me finish. I think one thing that, that, we, that we haven't talked about enough and that we don't acknowledge is that being a first-year coach in the Big Ten is really hard. It is really difficult, especially for a coach who's just learning college basketball. You know, and so if you actually, you know, if you look at the stability of the four programs that Indiana just lost to during its four game slide, right? Indiana coach or Illinois coached by Brad Underwood. He's in his fifth season. He's got a fifth year leader in Trent Frazier, who's been there for all of it. You know, Northwestern is coached by Chris Collins. He's in his ninth season. He's got a three year starter at point guard. And we didn't even have five starters for that game. Michigan State coached by Izzo in his 26th season. You know, he's got a point guard that's in his second year. Wisconsin coached by Greg Gard. His seventh season after taking over for, you know, Bo Ryan and the great program he left with a fifth-year senior in Brad Davison. And, you know, Mike Woodson's in his first season at IU, his first season coaching college basketball, his first season with Xavier Johnson as a point guard. Xavier Johnson's never even been on a winning team, right? And so I don't say any of this to excuse the poor decisions, the suboptimal lineup choices, you know, all of that stuff. But in each one of those games, Indiana had a second-half lead and, you know, execution killed them down the stretch, right? And with all these head, head scratching decisions, all of that stuff, um, you know, and a few different decisions here or there, maybe it swings the Northwestern or the Wisconsin games. But, you know, to me, as I think back about these last four games, it at least seems reasonable to wonder if this four game losing streak is less a function of, you know, Woody's coaching chops and more a reflection of just the gulf and stability between Indiana and the other stable programs in this conference. Like, if you really look at it, Indiana's had six coaches since 2000, and it's probably the least stable program, certainly one of the least stable programs in the conference. And so I think, you know, while we're in this moment of incredible impatience with Woody, all these questions, all these frustrations, I think it's useful to take a step back and recognize that it's, it's about more than just a few decisions in a game. Like, it's a pretty big uphill climb for him, and I'm not saying he's the guy by any means, and I've got lots of questions about it. But I think anybody who's making definitive judgments or thinking that they know the answer to this, it's going to take a little while in a conference this stable 
to keep moving up. And so I just think that we need to allow some space for that and be a little bit patient with Mike Woodson and and realize it's not all just about us. The other teams are really good too. And it was going to be really hard to win any of those four games. I still think they should have found a way to win one of them. They didn't, but you know, it's not, I don't think you can just say they just did it to themselves. Like these other teams are really good too. And I, I think, you know, all the talk about embarrassment and it's a five alarm fire and all this stuff. I think we should tone that down a little bit. I actually don't think that that's an accurate reflection of what's really going on. I just think the job Woody has is really difficult and we should offer some patience as he tries to do it, even as he makes mistakes that we point out because they've certainly happened. Yeah. When I said did it to themselves, I mean, they had a chance to win all of those games and they didn't execute. That Mm -hmm. is doing it to yourself. Now, Look, if you go down trading baskets with Johnny Davis and he hits the last one, okay, he beat you on one shot. They collapsed against Wisconsin. They collapsed against Illinois. They collapsed. They didn't show up against Michigan State. Like, it's one thing if you play a really – like, if they lost that Purdue game, like, again, they would have dropped it. But Jaden Ivey went off late, you know, and it was was just – that's a great player making plays and he beats you. You feel better about that than just five minutes with no baskets. You know, the last five minutes, they didn't make a field goal against Wisconsin. They're doing that to themselves by not executing. And I'm sorry, like, I I get it. Guys don't execute. Uh, Some of that blame goes to the players. But when guys consistently don't execute in the clutch and you know exactly what to expect and it's going to happen and you can set your watch by it, it's not just on the players. It's on the people putting them in those putting them in those positions. Now, I have never once said because people are attack are going after me for for my pronouncements about Woodson's coaching so far on court. I don't think he's a very good coach. I really don't. So far, I've I've seen nothing to believe that his on court coaching is this genius level guy that he was pitched as. You know, in the NBA, and he's great at drawing up plays, and he's so good at like understanding offense and defense a lot. I think the defense is fantastic. I think the defense has been fantastic all year. The improvement there has been tremendous. The offense is 40 spots worse than it was last year, and last year's offense was awful. And so, yeah, I have trouble with his on-court coaching. Have I, I have never once said Mike Woodson can't do this, or Mike Woodson can't turn this around, or Mike Woodson can't learn and get better. Not once. I'm having questions about it. And they're the same questions I had the day he was hired. He spent his entire career in the NBA. He never coached in college. And he's supposed to come back and turn around a college program when he has never done it before. That's the problem I had with the hire. I like Mike Woodson. He's great. I I love Mike Woodson. He's a member of the family. We all love him. But there's thin patience here because when he was hired, he was pitched, no, no, no. The difference between him and these other guys is he understands Indiana. And he's this genius level NBA coach. He's going to come in and get it fixed right away. And it's that was what was pitched, that he was going to be uniquely qualified to come in and turn this around. It doesn't look like it's turning around at all. And and and. I, but like, maybe we um, need to give him more than two thirds of a season before we start fine, Jared, making but, pronouncements. But, is what I'm saying. What we're making pronouncements about, though, is not the future because we don't know what the future is going to hold. We're making pronouncements about this season and mm-hmm. right now, and yeah. the pronouncements about right now are correct. This is not great. 
This is a disaster right now. If you it's miss not the a disaster, you got to stop if using that word. It is not a disaster. It's not a disaster. It's frustrating. It's a concern. You not making the tournament. The tournament. It's a big deal. It's yes, a big it's, freaking yes, deal. Yes, it, it's a big deal, but it's not a disaster. It's not like it's they're just going to laugh, like recruits are going to laugh him out of their house if he makes the NIT instead of the NCAA tournament. It, 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 it's not optimal. It's not great, but it's not it a disaster. Recruits, it's his um, first it, season. It There's still plenty recruits, of stuff he'll be able to pitch is what I'm saying. But here's the thing. What you, but what? Player development? Who's gotten that much better? Honestly. You pitch uh, your offensive style, it, it, it's, it's over 100, sub 100, I guess you would say. Like, what are you pitching? Like, the thing you were going to pitch is we took the next step. The other guys couldn't do it. Mike Woodson can do it. And so you can pitch that he knows the NBA and can develop you into the NBA, but Trace Jackson Davis hasn't gotten better after Mike Woodson declared, I'm going to get him to the NBA. Like, what do you have to throw at kids? You have to throw a program that's finishing ninth and 10th in the Big Ten every year. Like, I'm sorry, they're going to go to the other schools that are recruiting them. If, as far as top-level recruits go, they're going to go to the other schools where they know they're going to get exposure, where they know they're going to be playing for championships, where they know they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Right I just don't think it's going to be that stark after his first season. Now, you better make it your second season, your third season. It gets progressively more of a disaster. But let's, let's, get Andy's, let's get Andy's here, thoughts Let me, on let me just finish my last statement here. If you do not make the NCAA tournament with this roster, which does have plenty of talent on it, whether we have talked about it, it's, it's, this, this team it's is good enough to make the NCAA tournament. Comfortably. And if you don't, it's a failure. It is a failure. There's no other way to, to, to posit that. It's not like, oh, well, darn Yes, it. it's a failure. Years, it's not a disaster, though. Six years in a row without the tournament at Indiana, Jerry. Right, but it that's, was, not all was, my, that's not all on was, Mike Woodson, though. It was inexcusable. It was inexcusable when Tom Crane missed the tournament. It was inexcusable when Archie Miller missed the tournament. And it would be inexcusable if Mike Woodson missed the tournament. We right, have but, to treat them all the same. It no, you don't have same. to treat them all the same. Mike Woodson is in his first season. He was in the disaster Archie didn't to... make it his first season. Yeah, I know he didn't make it his first season. No, I'm saying but, it was a disaster what... then. Like, it's, it's not a Indiana disaster. Indiana should be in the tournament every single year. That's, that's non-negotiable. Right, but you we're not. Right now, our, our closest peer in the Big Ten is Penn State. That's just the reality. So and what Mike I'm saying Woodson is... And Mike hasn't look, elevated look, it. it <laughs> like, right. It, it's his first season, Ryan. In okay. a really tough I, conference. I understand that. I understand that. But are you going to look at the rosters of the other teams and say that Indiana talent-wise is ninth best in the in the, in the the league? Mm, no, I think no. they have more talent than that. But they also don't have one guy that's ever played in the NCAA tournament. They have a backcourt that's never been on a winning team. So it's not just like they should be in and it's a disaster if they're not. My, like This is a team, it was still going to be hard to make the tournament, but they should still do it. I agree that they my, should still do it. My, my, my argument here is that Mike Woodson should be elevating this team and it doesn't seem that he is. And I'm not saying Mike Woodson won't figure it out and won't like change his system to fit college basketball and all of that. But in year one, like... They should be able to at least say, we got, I don't care if you get to the NCAA tournament, get blown out in your first game, at least have that tangible step of we moved on. We moved, we're a program was stuck in the mud and we moved forward. That's my, my position on it. So, yeah, I mean, I have, I have a lot of thoughts. I've had a lot of time to formulate them while you've been talking, but, <laughs> um, 
I think there's, I mean, there's a few things. I'm not, these are probably in no particular order. I think the talent thing is, is interesting because it, it took me a little while. I couldn't think in my mind where I'd heard this conversation, but it was Gary Parrish talking about Texas. Everybody got excited because they get Chris Beard and they go and they get all these transfers in and, and they've, they, they've underperformed. I mean, it's not, they're not going to miss the NCAA tournament, but they've underperformed compared to where everybody had them top five. And when you look at the guys that they brought in and where they came from, they had not been in winning situations. Marcus Carr, he won winning at Minnesota, bringing Trey Mitchell. He won winning at UMass. Um, I think they brought in a guy from Vanderbilt and I did bring one from Creighton. Like they had experienced some success, but I think everybody gets excited because these guys come in and we do it. We got excited too, but Miller cop hadn't won. Parker Stewart didn't win. Xavier Johnson hadn't won. Michael Durr didn't win where they were. That doesn't mean they're bad players. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be brought in. But you have a collection of guys who are already here who have struggled time and time again in close games and who have struggled down the stretch and who have struggled on the stretch of games and on the stretch of seasons. And you went and you brought in a bunch of pieces that you thought could help, but they are kind of in the same. I mean, you got a bunch of guys in the same boat. So I think that's. That's one thing about talent. I'm not saying that to excuse it. I think there's enough talent to get in the in the in the tournament. And I've been disappointed in some of the in-game stuff. But I also think we might be overstating what what talent is really there based on what they've actually achieved at their various schools. Here's the thing. So, second thing in no, terms let, of making the tournament. No, go second ahead. thing. Yeah, in terms of in terms of making the tournament. So we kind of said at the beginning of the year, well, it doesn't matter if they sneak in. Well, if sneaking in means I'm the very last at-large team to not making the tournament is I'm the second team out. Like that's a pretty arbitrary cutoff to say that all of a sudden it's a disaster. Is it disappointing? hundred percent. Do we think, have they shown signs that they could play well enough to get there? hundred percent. But I also don't think that they're in contention for it right now. Do I look at the schedule and think they're going to be able to do well enough to win enough games down the stretch to make it? No. Um, but but they could. Um, so I think we kind of reserve judgment for that. It would definitely be disappointing. But there's plenty of teams who get players. Somebody mentioned this in the chat, so I'll, I'll give them credit. Well, not not enough credit to remember their name. But so we talked about Memphis. Like <laughs> Penny's still, you know, Penny's still recruiting guys. He hasn't done anything. Um, so I don't think that's a death sentence from a recruiting standpoint. Now, if that becomes the pattern, absolutely it's a it's a problem because you can no longer really really sell that part of it. And I think that's where not looking ahead to next year, I think missing it two years is a, is a huge problem. And the other thing just kind of goes to, to changes. I, I think, you know, the, my biggest frustration with Woodson in general has been what I would say, a lack of in-game and game to game adjustments to either put guys in better positions to succeed, to deploy them differently, to, to do whatever. Again, I, I looked at the the film room on or film session on inside the hall today. You know, there was one of the plays that they get the ball to trace toward the end. He kicks it out. And the guy he kicks it out to is Trey Galloway, who everybody loves, but is not the guy that you want to take that shot. And he didn't take the shot in that scenario. But if that's Parker Stewart, if that's Miller cop, um, some of those things like maybe they might still miss. But I think you've got a guy in a position to take the shot. And I think that was a you know, a play that I called it before. So I think that part has been 100% disappointing. And the pace at which he's been able to adjust to the college game is concerning. Because while he might be able to step back in the offseason and say, hey, here's 10 things I wish I did differently, 
I, I think it's fair to not expect that to take to the offseason to, to identify those things. Those things, many of those things, you know, if there's 10 things that you need to do differently, I would argue you should be able to identify six of them pretty easily during the season and, and try to try to figure that out. And I think where that leaves IU fans is caught in between a situation where Archie got a ton of rope in terms of he doesn't have his guys. They gave him all this time when we saw some warning signs there. And now I think it's like, you know, we, we saw we're like jerking the wheel back the other way and losing control of the car in the opposite direction. But to say, hey, we gave this guy a bunch of time. I'm not giving this guy any time. I don't care about that. You know, I can't do that anymore. And I think there's a middle ground there, which is probably not anybody wants to hear, um, quite honestly. But I think that in most cases is probably the reasonable response is to say, I don't think we need to give him as much rope as we gave Archie. But I also don't think it needs to be. If you don't do it in year one, you're never going to figure it out. I think that's where we kind of get stuck. And and I think we did this as a show. We would say we gave too much time, even though we felt like we saw red flags and we gave the benefit of the doubt and it bit us in the ass. And now it's like, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. And I just think we need to be a little bit careful, even though I see those red flags and we can point back to stuff. If this doesn't work out this season, that would say, you know what? you know what? We kind of saw this. There were signs. We should have, we should have handled this differently or done whatever differently. So that's kind of where I come down on the whole thing. Yeah. One thing about the Archie difference with Mike Woodson, I agree that people gave Archie more rope. It was also pitched from the very beginning that, Hey, he's going to need time to implement a completely radical different system than Tom Crean. Woodson was pitched as like, we're just going to change a few things and it's going to get rolling. And also Woodson inherited a better roster. There's no question about that. I don't think that anybody, they don't shoot very well, but he had an All-American candidate. He has Ray Thompson. He brought in a point guard in Xavier Johnson. We've seen play at a very high level. He had Tamar Bates. He's had a, uh, a veteran backup guard in, in now backup guard in Rob Finnessy. He had Galloway, Leal. I mean, they're decent players on the roster who fit what he wants to do for the most part. He got shooters in Cop and, and Stewart, and quite frankly, we've talked about it endlessly. He doesn't really give them great opportunities to shoot every game. So there's a difference there, is that you've got Trace Jackson Davis, who is an all-Big Ten player. The other guy didn't have that. And so I think there is just Don't you besmirch a- Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson was wonderful. I loved Robert Johnson. He wasn't carrying a team. Um <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like it's 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 a different um it, it's a different level. And also it was pitched when Archie came in, hey, this is gonna take time. This is gonna take time. We're gonna put in radically different systems, the opposite of what Crean did, we're gonna do. But Woodson was not and the irony is Woodson is showing you don't need time to change the defense. Not at all. <laughs> you can no, make and, the defense that, better right away. That's what's ultimately <laughs> kind of the crazy part is like the stuff that you would have thought he'd have been the best at is what he struggled at the most in terms of like really being able to. I remember even yeah. that was like you yeah. know, Fran Forshilla tweeting it out when he got you know these guys in the nba they have all these sets they know all this they blah 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 blah, blah. like it, it won't be a it won't be that difficult of an adjustment and the part that i think everybody would have thought although he kind of said differently when he started approaching in the offseason was like yeah he's going to be able to scheme some things up from an offensive standpoint what, what he has done is really you know transform the defense which has been great um and and at the same time, the thing that you might have expected him to do the best at is one of the things he struggled at with, struggled with the most. Yeah. yeah so and, let me let me so make a let point just, on that. Let me compare. Let me, let me just I, finish my. Comparison. Jared had a little magic wand there. It looked like he was pulling out to try to do something. Oh, I did. There, yeah. I wasn't really, <laughs> wasn't sure what was going on. I was excited. 
but my comparison here with, with Woody and Archie, and I agree that I'm not, again, not saying Woody should be fired. Nobody is saying that. Whoever's saying that is an idiot. I'm complaining about well, there's definitely some people that are saying no, that. it's not idiots. people saying that he should be fired, but I think it's people. So let me give you an it's example. Frustration with missed opportunities this year. Yeah, oh, I agree. The there have been missed opportunities, massive missed opportunities. And when the same thing keeps happening over and over, and we said this with Archie in like year two, when the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again, you've got to stop blaming the players because there are be, they are being put in the same situation over and over again to run the same things and do the same things with the same results happening. If that guy can't do it for you, find somebody else. If he can't do it for you, find somebody else. Like you need to you right. need to change what you're doing and adjust and move on. And so when you've Agreed. seen the same story play out over and over and over again, and you're still doing the same things, that stops being a player problem, and it starts being now. Look, Woodson may get guy may get like five guys who shoot forty percent and don't need to be run off screens to get open for you know open threes, but that's not what he has right now, and he has not adjusted to the problems that are con- persistent. That's the frustration with this year. I have said repeatedly too that I think Mike Woodson, what he's doing behind the scenes in the program, is excellent, and I give him a huge amount of credit for that behind the scenes, instilling you know. Uh, being accountable with players, make, holding them accountable, uh, the confidence he's giving guys, the behind-the-scenes sort of infrastructure of the program, the recruiting, all of that has been good. My complaints are missed opportunities in-game on the court, yes. and that's what bothers me. Can he learn and grow and fix it? Absolutely he can. He's not a dumb guy. He's a smart guy, which is why it's been disappointing not to see the adjustments this year. That's the frustration is he's better than this, and he's not showing it. So I agree. And that's really the point that I'm trying to make is cautioning anybody on making too strong determination on what you're seeing right now. You know, I saw Tyler in the chat, you know, ask, you know, something about, you know, do you think the offensive schemes will get better? You know, or or is that, you know, something about the scheme? You know, you think back, right? You know, when 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 first year coaches come into the Big Ten, they often struggle, right? Unless they're great guard taking over for Bo Ryan or you're taking, right, you know, Chris Holtman the where the program's in a good spot. You know, Fran McCaffrey, his first season, they finished 88th in Ken Palm. Underwood, first season, 102nd. Steve Peichel, first season, 135th. Matt Painter, first season, 155th. You know, and those are all guys now, their program is stable. They know how to recruit to it. They know what they're doing. And so they're teams that obviously play better and win more games and execute well. Their first season, it'd be interesting to go back and look, you know, and you wonder, you know, what people were saying as, as their teams were doing absolutely nothing. And so the, the point that I want to make is I know we're frustrated. I know our tendency is toward impatience. And, you know, we're in this news cycle where everything, you know, you know Ryan, you say five alarm fire. And I think that's the wrong term to use for this particular for this case. Season. Right. But right. Season. But that's the thing is we live in like a five, five alarm fire society where it's like everything seems magnified. But if you take a step back you know, yeah, Woody is struggling against a lot of programs that are more established with a little bit of time to, A, figure out what his system for college basketball is going to look like, which hopefully changes from what it is this year because there's concerns and he has a chance to recruit to it and to build a little bit of stability. Yeah, I do think the schemes and some of that stuff can change. If it doesn't, it's not going to work. But I just, I want to caution people against man, we had this bad four-game losing streak and we lost all these opportunities and I just don't know if this guy's going to be able to adapt to college basketball. The red flags have work. been there all year, Jared. We've no, talked no. about them. 
there look, there are red flags. The team is struggling. But it may not all just be, is Woody ever going to be able to get this? It may also be because he has some talented players who are also really one-dimensional. And his vision for how it was going to look offensively, it's not going right. And he's not pushing the right buttons. And he's struggling to adjust to it. But in seasons two and three and four, as he gets more comfortable and the pieces fit better, that may get better. And oftentimes, the, the, the historical perspective I want to bring is guys really struggle in this league their first year. And so we, you just have to be careful. It doesn't mean that it's not going to work if you've got the right coach. Now, I fully get I have a lot of the same questions that you guys do. You know, I'm not saying any of that stuff is invalid. I'm merely trying to push back against the impatience and what I see as judgments that are getting too close to definitive about a coach that we don't know enough about yet. That's it. I, and I think I think a lot of, you know, you look at some of the other programs that that you mentioned and it's. It's a chicken and egg argument, right? Like we want to say, hey, we need stability. Well, does stability breed winning or does winning allow you stability? Well, there's a huge and survivorship so, bias with all the coaches who are still there. <laughs> right. It, it, yeah, there's there's yeah, that 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 part's all totally fair. So I think that's what the question is. And I think, you know, this is a program that hasn't had enough stability. Now, again, we can argue is that because they didn't win enough and then everybody gets impatient and somebody needs to go. Maybe it is. So it's it's one of those where it's really hard to to try to figure it out. But you look at some of the examples that you said, you know, people were patient with those guys for whatever the reason they were patient with them and they found ways to turn it around. And now the culture is built in a way that, you know, I mean, hate to do this on here, but like Purdue's a great example. Like Painter didn't have a good start, but they've built it and it kind of, you know, found, sound like friggin Rothstein here. You know, it, it does kind of run itself at some point, though, like they've got an identity. They've got all those things that everybody here wants to get. And I don't know if what Matt Painter would say the real reason for that is, is it because somebody who gave him time and kind of let him do his thing? Is it because he made these, you know, three key adjustments over the course of time? Like I, you know, maybe somebody's asking that question before, maybe there's an interview that somebody can, you know, can, can point to, to say some of that stuff, but it's, it's difficult because everybody wants that stability, but also wants to win and is unwilling at times to to go through some of the growing pains that might lead to that. Because the problem is you went through growing pains with the last guy that yielded you nothing. And the promise was, well, these are just growing pains. We'll figure it out. And nobody ever figured it out. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I just, I just don't know, but I, no. the, the red flags aren't necessarily the same. Um, but I think, I, I think it would be, disingenuous to sit here for any of us to say there aren't things that have happened that give you pause about whether it's going to work out. Yes. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. You know, and, and coach said, you know, Hey, you, you know, if you're going to cite the guys that started slow and did well, well, the, the big 10 is littered with, you know, coaches that started slow and never got it going like Archie Miller. And that's totally true. And that's why, you know, as much as we nitpick on some of the stuff that's going wrong and Ryan, you mentioned some of this, you know, Mike Woodson should get a lot of criticism for what's happening with the offense, but that's got to be balanced with praise for what's happened with the defense and for what appears to be a coach who is really trying to hold players accountable to the culture that he wants to build you know, and some of that stuff was some of the big picture stuff, the accountability part that was probably the biggest red flag about Archie Miller that we let slide early on, you know, and, and, and some of that stuff is really important. And so the fact that Woodson is getting some of those things right, that's part of the reason why I think you can have a little bit of patience with the offense, you know, I, and, and some of those other stuff. So th that's, that's the thing. 
my criticisms are solely about this year. I think the long-term stuff he's doing well at. And I, and I've said repeatedly that I think that he can learn, grow into it. You know, who we, quite frankly, take advantage of Thad Mata right down the hall. Like, I mean, wow. that that's a huge red flag to me that he's got a great resource there that from all accounts, he's not really using. And, and, and I get that you're, and you were in the NBA. You think the NBA is the pinnacle of basketball and you're going to come in and use your NBA concepts and and destroy the rest of college basketball because they're higher level concept. That's not how it works. They're it's different a bigger games. red flag to me than the offense, actually. I would agree with you, and <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, I, I just that 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 is scary to me. And but at the same time, of course he can get better, and I do think the long term stuff he's doing very well at. If he lands. A center and maybe another wing in this recruiting class, good. In the 2023 class, good. You're locked in. Awesome. You've got that down pat. But you got to produce or those recruits aren't going to come. And yeah. so I, 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 that's where my worry is. And, and I think that with this roster, there isn't an excuse for missing the NCAA tournament. may happen, but there's no excuse for it. Um, so Jamie asked us, what is the worst fight you guys have had with each other over basketball or anything else? Might be this if the season keeps going as it's going. <laughs> I don't remember what our. Um, I, don't, I don't really. I, I don't really remember that. I think. I think one of the bigger fights that we've had was actually this year when you said that the Michigan game erased the positive from the Purdue game, and we went at it on Twitter one night. And and you, there, with, you, by the way, there's never been a serious fight. No, it's we've never been had like fight. basketball yeah. stuff. We've never, we've never yet had a knockdown drag out. Um, no, I think that with that, and I also think with that, because of the way Twitter is, it kind of like that got skewed sort of. And I think you were reading it one way and I was reading your comments the other way. Um, you know, what I was saying was you, you, you took the step back and now it doesn't mean the Purdue win doesn't mean anything, but I was, I was trying to say like, that's all the momentum you gained just stopped right there. So, um, but yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, that's we have disagreements about basketball. It's not like it's not that big a deal. We're not. This is an intercontinental conflict here. Also, has Andy ever shown anger? Oh yeah, I've seen it. No, in in game, in game, uh, about referees. This is what I've been told by numerous people who have sat with you at games. <laughs> Can neither confirm nor deny. I've gotten text He's, messages. Uh, Andy's different in person. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, I would say generally over to the over the course of time, I've probably mellowed out a, a little bit. Um, although hey, you well, shut people, up, people would probably. Here we go. People would probably. People who watch me coach would probably suggest that uh, I, I I got a little little bit of anger, but. Um, no, I don't know. I feel like over the time I've 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 matured and mellowed out a little bit. That I don't. I, I try not to let some of this stuff uh, get to me as much as it probably once did with IU or other stuff as well. What so, are you looking around for? There, shoot the ball. Look around you, Helen. We're at the threshold of hell. <laughs> yeah, I totally botched that though. It was really Ellen. I really messed that up. I'll have to redo that at some point. Uh, all right. Um, all right. I think Ryan's got to go. Right. Anyway. Uh, I can do like one more question. Oh, one more question. All right. Well, let's, uh, I will pull a question from segment three in here. Okay. We have to do this one. Uh, okay. From Bob Thompson, coach Tonsoni is coaching Andy Ryan and Jared in a Gus Macker tournament. What kind of system or strategy are you running? 
Also, I need Ryan to give a player comp for himself. So I emailed coach to get his answer, and here was his response. Three out motion with Andy at the point. Lots of pins and flare screens between Morris and Phillips. Would use Morris in the post as needed. Set plays. Tiramisu and ISO for a Phillips drive. <laughs> West side. Morris back screen step out for three. And Cincy. Ball screen for bottoms. My concern would be on defense because despite bottoms, the other two couldn't guard their shadow. <laughs> hey, I would try like Miller Cop. Like it wouldn't work very well, but I would, I would hustle. Uh, and I'd get in shape before the Gus Macker tournament. I feel like um, we'd have to run something that would allow us to rest at times. I am 6'3". You're not going to use me in the post? I know I'm skinnier now, but come on. I can throw some elbows. Uh, player comp for myself. Um, well, Lorenzo Romar just dropped a name. You can pick that up later. Uh, once nicknamed me Chitwood during a, during a, oh, a, a summer basketball camp. Yeah, I, he was just trying to what like a, gas, what a, gas. What know. a regrettable, what a g- regrettable choice of question that you pulled forward to this, Jared, so I that know. we could have. We could I'm, not, hey, well, I'm not saying I am. I think in in a stretch of two games, I hit like nine of twelve shots or something from three, and he he started calling me me Chitwood. Um, I don't I don't know I don't know who I played like I was a I was a lanky bulldog. I don't know if that's if that the, the, they even exist. Those even exist. Yeah. I fashioned myself a Brian Evans, but I was much more of a Matt Roth. Oh, you know who I you know who I patterned some of my game after, and, and Indiana fans are going to hate this. Uh, Jeff Shepard from Kentucky. Mm. I like the way he played. It wasn't about liking Kentucky. I just love the way he played. He can't cut hard off screens, mid range jumper. I was never even close to as athletic as he was. He was unbelievable. But that was I, I love the way he played. It's a good one. All right. So good co or a good question there, Bob. Good answer, coach. We appreciate that. All right. I guess we'll handle the rest of these questions, Ryan. You do that, guys. We'll talk about what how long it? you are. Two segments and an hour. Nice job. San Diego chicken. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, no. We do have to do one more quick one for you. Uh, someone okay. asked for a recommendation uh, from Phil. Recommend a great restaurant for dinner in San Diego. I'm here for five weeks, staying close to Mission Bay. We'll be going to Mr. A's on the 24th. Son's oh, birthday is tomorrow. Family coming in from San Fran. Mr. A's is number one, I think, in San Diego. It's a classic. The Marine Room in La Jolla is also a classic. Uh, Jake's in Del Mar, one of my favorites. I was just there a few weeks ago. Get a sunset reservation. It's beautiful. It's literally on the beach. Marine Room, same way. Uh, so I would say Marie, uh, Mr. A's, you're already hitting perfect. Marine Room and Jake's in Del Mar. Beautiful. There you go. Excellent. Thank you for the question, Phil. And happy birthday job, to your son. That'll be a blast. All right, Ryan. Uh, guys. I will talk to you soon. You will Monday night. Cool. See you, All right, Andy. Should we hop in and do some of these other questions here? We can. I don't know if you want to take a break or do any of that or need to. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Read the other parts. I mean, whatever, whatever you want to do. That's fun. Yeah. We'll take a quick break. I, all right. Sounds good. It'll be, it'll be quick. Okay. Coming up here in our third segment, we will answer more of your questions. Uh, we got a bunch of good ones here about Indiana's roster looking forward, uh, some recruiting stuff. It's all coming on the assembly call. Stick with us.
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Mm-hmm. Melon, you, yeah. You beat, everyone knows you, how this works. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was getting ready to post that one as well. Yeah. Brian is gone. Kidding, kidding, kidding. I love how he totally changed the context of what he said after the Michigan game, though. <laughs> as, he, as he tried to soften what his statement you guys, was. You guys did go on about Twitter on that for a while. I will say that was that was the lengthiest interaction I think that, that there's been. I don't know if it was maybe may or may not have been the most heated, but it was definitely it definitely went on for a while. It's like that. Have you ever seen that, you know, that meme? It's like someone's wife is like looking in the room and he's on the computer you're like he's not coming to bed and it's just a statement like someone is wrong on the internet (laughs) (laughs) cannot stand for it (laughs) Uh, i don't know i you know i look we love ryan because he has strong opinions uh his opinions are informed and he's right a lot as i gave him credit on a recent show but sometimes his hyperbole doesn't fit and someone has to push back against some of the stronger language so we just try to do that we keep each other try to keep each other honest on the show you know uh anyway that's what we do all right okay let's do this here we go speaking of three-point shooting This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Nick. Boy, you would look good on the current roster right now. Mm. Uh, You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. Andy Bottoms is here. Ryan had to bounce. Uh, But Andy and I will carry you through the rest of this Ask Us Anything episode. All of these questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. And some of them were delivered via Discord. Uh, we have a, a private Discord uh, where members who hold our creator coin, HomeCoin, uh, actually receive HomeCoin when their questions are used. Uh, and if you want to learn more about that, you can go to homecoin.fans, actually, uh, and learn more about that. We'll be talking about that more in the future. Um but uh, yeah, so let's get to some of these questions. Here's the first one. It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's mediocre question. Tonight's mediocre question is, where the hell was the mediocre question, Jay? He left us hanging this week. So we have no mediocre question from Jay. Uh, if you see him on Twitter, at Jay Horry, give him some hell because he's supposed to give us a mediocre question. To be fair to Jay, he did choose to celebrate part of his birthday at the Iowa-Wisconsin game. So and that's rough. <laughs> Just give him a little grace. you know. That's true. That's true. And you know what? Jay was there. We started a new tradition. Uh, if you haven't heard about this, members of the Assembly Call community, we go at halftime of every IU home game. Uh, on the north end, they've got that big... Um, uh, the the old wood from the old assembly hall playing floor uh, with the state of Indiana logo that was at center court. And so we meet out there uh, and take a picture and then we post that picture and Jay was one of the people who was doing that. So we do it every game. So if you're there, go meet up at halftime. You can meet, you know, other assembly call, back home network, Crimson Cast folks. Uh, 
there because we're building a community here. I was joking with somebody, you know, maybe we'll do this in reverse. We'll build a community and then we'll build a credit union. Just do the inverse of what uh, IU Credit Union did. I mean, who knows? Who knows where HomeCoin can go? <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see. So we got this question from Wes. What role is Thad Mata playing? Is he being utilized at all for anything related to the on-court stuff? Ryan was going to answer that question. He kind of did. You know, I don't really know any details. There's just, you know, things that you hear. Um, So I don't know. I probably, I couldn't really add anything more to it than we've said. You know, I think if he's, if there's not a great relationship there and, and, and if that's not being used to the fullest extent, you know, that would be a red flag. So I think Thad Mata is a great resource, but also to try and judge working relationships of really successful professional men who were kind of thrown together and are in their first season, you know, how we can't really judge that stuff without being there on a daily basis. So I don't want to make it seem like we have any definitive statements there. Um, but I hope that that relationship is as optimal as it can be because it seems like that would be in the best interest of IU basketball. So we will see, uh, Andy, let's go to you. Um, from Tony. Okay, so Andy, you get to play the role of GM for Indiana basketball, constructing the roster moving forward. So who do you think, you know, and, and look, we know there's lots of comings and goings now. You know, Trace is expected to go pro, right? I think we'll all be surprised if he doesn't. You know, guys like Rob and Race could come back for another season, I believe, still, right, if they want to. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff up in the air. There always will be, you know, projecting forward rosters is really kind of a, a futile thing. But who do you think are maybe like the three guys that would be the most important to keep when you look at what's expected, the recruits coming in as we look toward next year's roster? Yeah, I mean, as I think about the roster, the way he worded this was assuming that Xavier Johnson, TJD, Race, and Rob were all gone. Um, I don't know if it's reasonable to also assume that the other uh, you know transfer guys would be as well, but I kind of took this to the letter of of the question that was asked. So you know, your commits for next year, you've got Jalen Shafino, you've got CJ Gunn and Caleb Banks. And, and the other part of his question was, you have the, the new commits coming, you have to take, which I think is not an issue necessarily. Um, you know, as I look at the guys, you know, so that leaves the, the pool of guys to really evaluate here uh, is Parker Stewart, Miller Cop, Michael Durr. Again, I assume based on the way this was worded, those were options. Trey Galloway, Anthony Leal, Jordan Geronimo, Christian Lander, Logan Duncan, and uh, Tamar Bates. I, I think... Two, the first two for me were relatively easy, and they were Galloway and Geronimo. I, I think with Galloway, um, I think he just brings a, a, a bit of a toughness that the team really needs, and I don't think he's too duplicative really with the guys who are coming in, uh, if you think about it that way. Uh, and Geronimo, I, I, you know, he's he's definitely had some growing pains. It feels like in recent games, but the upside is still there, and in the moments when he really flashes that, you know, the athletic ability plays with energy off the bench. He's developed a decent shot. Um, so I think, um, you know, so I think, I think those would be the two that I would probably pick the soonest. And then really, when you look past that, you need, I mean, Geronimo gives you some front court. I mean, the, the glaring hole at that point is really, uh, in, in the front court. Um, and I'm not sure there's a slam dunk answer of the guys who are, you know, left on that list to really say, you know, they, they fill that really, it would be, you know, Durr and Duncan, um, 
if you wanted to keep a big guy or if you just assume, hey, I'm going to go transfer portal and try to, you know, load up on big guys. So I don't know. Th- those were the two that were kind of came to mind quickest for me. I mean, who would you, one, I guess, would you say those are the two that you would pick? And two, who would your third be if if you agree with that? Did you say Tamar? I did not. He was in the, he would be in the consideration for it for me for that third spot. The, the two that I said were Galloway and Geronimo. And, and I was stuck on the other one. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I would love it if Race Thompson came back. I think that would be amazing. Well, I, um, I would too. I, I took yeah. it the way he worded the question. That was not happening. But Yeah, no. And, you know, maybe it won't. We'll see. Um, so I certainly think the door is open to that. Um, you know, it's going to be obviously be really interesting to see what he and Trace do. Yeah, to me, I mean, I think you got to take Galloway. I think he's kind of projects as the heart and soul and probably vocal and emotional leader of the program moving forward. Uh, and again, if he becomes a guy who can shoot, that's an all big 10 level player. I, uh, we all think, you know, he's, he's got his issues, but there's so much to like about him. I agree with you on Geronimo. You know, the upside is still there. Uh, and you know, if he can get past, you know, whatever kind of the current frustration and struggles are, I think he can still be really impactful this year. He really kind of needs to be. And then I, I think scoop is the other guy, you know, he's just, he's got so much talent. Um, you know, we haven't seen it, you know, for a variety of reasons this season. Um, and maybe we won't, you know, outside of just a flash here and there, but you know, I still, he projects to me as the kind of guy struggles as a freshman, but then boy, you really see a big jump as a sophomore as his, he takes a more prominent role. It's kind of a more solid role. He's just more comfortable and confident. Um, and not that he ever lacks for confidence, but you know, I mean, just to just confident in, you know, kind of knowing what his role is and that more is expected of him. So I I think it's gotta be those three guys and yeah, you kind of have a hole in the middle, but I'll take my chances. You know, those guys are all really good athletes. Um, they can do multiple things on the court and then I would kind of fill in around them because none of the post options are no brainers. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think it's, you know, in the same way, Geronimo is kind of an upside choice. I think, you know. Tamar fits that same same category and I think what you'd need to go look at then if you're thinking how am I going to fill some other holes on the roster I think you really need a, a race Thompson-esque guy that you could bring in the front court from the transfer portal uh, or something of that nature and then I think you need another you, you certainly need another point guard if if the assumption is that X is going to be gone I think there's a lot of people who think Coach Shafino is going to step in and be able to assume that role right away. And I think the the track record in a lot of cases of freshman guys stepping in and really being able to run a team uh, is not very good uh, at IU or, or otherwise. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want him and to have that pressure. Also a lot of, one. yeah, it's just a lot of pressure on him. So I think if you could get a guy and then the other thing you're kind of assuming is, you know, the recruits you've got signed for the future in terms of like Gabe cups is coming in. So I think a transfer guy who you would have for a year would be, um, helpful to have at the, the point guard spot if you're looking at kind of like other top priorities of what you'd want to do to um, add other guys to the roster. Yes. Yeah, so let's stick on this theme of uh, players coming in. Where's the question about recruits that we had? Uh, I think it's right above that one. Is it? Oh, yeah. Um, there it is from Phil. Do we know if next year's recruits can shoot the three? Uh, and then JD Hoosier, the current roster is full of one dimensional players, or at least players that have glaring weaknesses. Can you discuss the strengths and weaknesses of the incoming recruits? So, you know, we're not recruiting experts. I think Ryan has probably done a little bit more work on this than us, you know, so I will also credit, you know, 
Jeff Rabjohns, Alex Bozich, you know, guys who actually like see video of these players and have written up reports. Um, you know, Kent Davis, I saw, you know, he, uh, you know, one of the message boards, you know, had kind of a breakdown of Ja'Kai Newton. So everything that I'm saying is just summarizing what I've read from those uh, folks. Um, in terms of them shooting the three, Hood Shafino, I think, is like decent at it. And, and people think he can project to be a pretty good three-point shooter, but I don't know that I would expect it um, from day one. CJ Gunn has really been shooting it well uh, as a senior. So that does seem like uh, a strength for him. Now, he's obviously going to have to get stronger and some of those things because he's pretty slight of frame, but he does seem to have a shot that is going to project. Uh, Cups is shooting, I think, 40-some percent from three-point range this year. And... Uh, you know, Newton kind of has a developing shot, you know, that most people seem to think, you know, can can develop into an adequate outside shooter. But he's also a really, really hard worker. Um, but, you know, his game is more defense, athleticism, kind of slashing right now. And Caleb Banks is a guy who has been able to step out and face the basket, too. And I think is really kind of the model of the big that Mike Woodson is going to want. You know, not as much of a back to the basket type but a guy who you can really like extend out to the three-point line. And Race Thompson is doing it some, but Caleb Banks even more credible from an early age uh, as, as a three-point shooter. Um, you know, and in terms of the dimensions, I think that is... No, again, you know, we have to see what all these guys do because you think back to how we talked about some of the current players, and we were probably talking about their multidimensionality as high school players. But, you know, Hood Shafino, again, by all accounts, is kind of like really good at everything. You know, does maybe maybe is not elite at any one thing, but is just good at everything. Has a mid-range game, can finish inside, good passer, good defender, you know, good leader. That's why, you know, he's any ranked anywhere between eighth to twenty-fifth in the country. Um, you know, gun, same thing. You know, he's a three-level shooter, gonna have to get better on defense, um, maybe and as a creator, but you know, seems to be a relatively versatile scorer. And then Cups and Newton really project as, you know, kind of versatile guards. You know, Cups a good enough catch and shoot guy that he could play off the ball, but also a really good passer. Newton probably never gonna be your primary ball handler, but is versatile in the sense that he could probably guard from a two to a four. You know, similar to how AJ Moya used to because he was athletic and physical, I think Newton, you know, might be able to do some of those things. Uh, and then Banks, you know, have to see what he is as a defensive player, but because of his ability to shoot, could probably play anywhere from three to small ball five, depending on how he projects. You know, and that's kind of like what Tamar Bates projected forward as, and I think has shown us flashes of being that guy. So it really does seem like Mike Woodson, while he's, and again, you know, this is one of the reasons why I'm, making myself not make too many judgments this year with what Mike Woodson has to work with, because I think he's got a lot more one dimensional players this year than he's ideally going to have moving forward. And he certainly seems to run an offense that, that, you know, is, you know, assumes that his players maybe have more dimensions than they do. But that's what I'd say. I think all these guys project to have that, but we're going to have to see what happens when they actually get on campus and they go against the faster speed of college basketball. Yeah. I don't really have anything to, to add from a recruiting standpoint. I think, I think you can start to just see, and again, this, this might not be reason to, to circle back to our prior conversation, but I think what you don't see is Woodson recruiting a, a true, like back to the basket post guy. And maybe that contributes to not being able to, to make adjustments offensively that we might have expected this year. I don't think that excuses it. I, 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 I know that doesn't excuse it by any means. You got to kind of make the best of what you got, but um, 
definitely doesn't feel like the kind of guy who they're really going after from a, a big standpoint is is what they have a lot of um this year yeah i mean even duncan is a guy i mean he'll play with his back to the basket but he's got some ability to step out and shoot a little bit of range passer. Yeah. yeah um all right andy i know you've got about 10 minutes left so let's get to the questions that we had earmarked for you here from jeff so stipulating, we, can always, we can always keep some of these too they're not uh none of them are necessarily super time sensitive so that's true that is true um from yeah, jeff whichever one you want to do is fine stipulating that we always have the best version of a player in mind when he's injured and not able to play. I still think the Wisconsin game is a win. If Rob Finnessy plays, even if he can't hit the broadside of a barn with a coal shovel shooter shows up. Wow. Now there's, there's, there's a description. <laughs> Apologies to Mrs. Finnessy. If she's reading or if she's listening uh, with X and Rob in the game, I don't think Davis uh, has his way with us down the stretch. How big of a loss is Finnessy to the team in the last few games and what impact can he have if he gets back on the floor against Ohio state? I would not hold out hope for that, by the way. Yeah, it's an interesting question because I don't know. Um, he certainly would have gotten his crack at Johnny Davis. I think from a size standpoint, probably some challenges there um, just because he's he's not quite tall enough. Um, but I also think he's had some success on, um, I think it was toward the, I think it was the Ohio State game is what I the one I want to say where he, um, you know, really played solid defense on, and the player's name is also escaping me, but I, but they kind of put him on, uh, you know, one of their better perimeter scorers who's a little bit bigger, maybe around Davis's size. And, and I thought he did a good job. I, I mean, I think we talked about after the game against Wisconsin of, you know, a lot of questions of, should you have doubled him to try to get the ball out of his hands? But I think it's a fair question to ask, but if you're going to try to put somebody one-on-one -on -one against him, there just weren't a lot of great places to turn um, from a, a combination of size and athleticism. So I think Rob, from the standpoint of just being a good defender, would have um, would have been helpful. Um, and I think does just take a little bit of the pressure off of Xavier Johnson having to play quite as much and, um, you know, is a guy who had gotten more comfortable in catch and shoot situations, even though he'd done fairly well at those, was, was more comfortable taking the shots this year. So I don't know if that means he wins, but... Um, I think to have a little bit more of a, a bulldog and a, a good defender, you're probably forcing Davis to take you less off the dribble and more go into the post. And he had some success hitting some really tough turnarounds, but maybe you're making him take those shots instead of letting him get downhill and really, uh, you know, coming at the basket. Yeah. And look, even more than the Wisconsin game, I think you probably win the Northwestern game if you have Rob Finnessy, because um, Rob's probably not getting suspended. Uh, and of all the road venues that Rob has had success in, you know, he's had two pretty good games at Northwestern. Um, his freshman year out there, he had, you know, 13 points, knocked down some threes as a junior. He had five assists, no turnovers. So that's been a place that he's actually been successful. And now you're not relying on Trey Galloway to be your primary ball handler. And so I think you're, you're in a much better position to win that game. You know, look, you know, I know, you know, we don't want to put this stuff forward as much sometimes because it sounds like you're making excuses. Um, I think Indiana, you know, they still should have won that game. You know, guys don't get suspended. Do so, you know, Trace Jackson Davis dominate. You can still beat Northwestern. But I do think that the injuries to Trey Galloway and Rob Finnessy have hurt this team. You know, as we've said, you know, it's very possible that Indiana beats a Syracuse. Um, you know, or wins, you know, one of those games when Trey Galloway is out. And as we just said, it's very possible they beat Northwestern with Rob. Now, if they didn't, 
So whatever, and other teams have dealt with injuries also. Um, you know, but those are just a couple of things you look at because um, those have been two of Indiana's five best players in terms of lineups that they're in are really successful in part because they're two of Indiana's best defensive players. And so when they're out, you know, you're weakening the greatest strength of this team that helps to counteract their offensive struggles. Um, and I mean, to be fair, those two guys are part of the offensive struggles. But yeah, I think um, I think if Rob plays, they I, I think I would I would have felt more comfortable they would beat Northwestern. Actually, I think his impact would have been felt more there than against Wisconsin. So, um, okay, let's go. There was here. one about there was one a timely one. Somebody asked about um, coaches getting a technical to try to fire up their team. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily know where I fall down on that, but Alabama fans would be all for it because Nate Oates got run last night and they just crushed Mississippi State after that. It had been a close game. I think they were losing when he went out and they went on, I want to say like a 12 to 1, 16 to 1 run or something after he went out. But I think some of that's knowing your team and maybe what they respond to and and don't. But it was it, it was an interesting question given the timing of somebody had just done it um, the other night when it became pretty clear he was and Oates is pretty fiery, so maybe maybe it wasn't totally uh, orchestrated, but um, it felt like he was making sure he was going to get thrown out, and the team really responded to it, played a lot better defense than they had earlier in the game up to that point after he got thrown out. But I definitely feel like that's a know your team. Is this something that will respond to them, or is it a piece of adversity that is uh, not going to be one they're, they're equipped to overcome? Yeah, you know, and, and Kevin, who asked this question, he kind of framed it, you know, as, you know, do you also want to see, you know, the coach fighting for his players, def- demanding that the refs, you know, call it more fairly? And he was talking about the Michigan State game. He said, Izzo seems to work the refs relentlessly every game, and maybe that pays off for him. And look, I think this is, again, why it's really tough in the Big Ten for first-year coaches. You know, I mean, think about the relationships Tom Izzo has with these officials over years and years and years and all the coaches who have been around. And look, when you get a coach right and you have stability, like you've earned that, that's part of the benefit that you get for having that kind of stability. It just means that it's a bigger uphill climb for a new coach to get. Now, if you have the right guy, there's no reason that you can't overcome that and, you know, and eventually create your own stability. So uh, I'm not saying that to, to say that any of the goals for the season should change. Um, it's just a recognition of, you know, really, it's, it's really, it's even less a commentary on Woodson and just more commentary of, you know, just how far down the Indiana basketball is, you know, and how unstable the program has been and that it's a big uphill climb for anybody who has this job because, you know, we haven't gotten hires right or they haven't worked long term or whatever. Like there's a big cost to that. I think sometimes you have to pay that cost if you don't believe you have the right coach, because if you don't have the right coach, you'll never build the stability in the first place. But it gets harder and harder, you know, and the more of these hires that we don't get right, it's just going to keep getting harder to rebuild it um, until we get the right guy. So, um, with a slew of recent upsets and some programs surging and some waning, what is your current Big Ten power rankings, Andy? Um, I'm, I'm tempted to, uh, you know, oddly enough, I'd be tempted to put Illinois at the top just cause I think they, uh, are, are a group who, when everything is, is clicking, do enough on the defensive end as well as the offensive end to, to really, um, potentially be the best team. The flip side is it feels somewhat silly to put them over a Purdue team that has beaten them twice, despite, 
um, some of Purdue's obvious flaws from a defensive standpoint. So I think those two, though, to me, are a fairly clear top two at this point. Um, and then I think, you know, Wisconsin and Ohio State are grouped pretty closely together. I, I really don't. I mean, I think Rutgers at this point, you'd have to, if you're based on how teams are playing right now, uh, yeah. would be kind of right there in that, that second tier. Ohio State's a little bit odd. They just missed, you know, missed some of their games um, due to, you know, there was weather, there was COVID stuff. I, I just feel like I haven't been able to watch them get into a rhythm quite enough, but certainly playing the way they did at Michigan last Saturday, given the momentum that Michigan had was really impressive. EJ Liddell is, is obviously an incredibly, uh, solid player. Um, so I just haven't been able, I just feel like I don't have a good, good feel for them, but like Michigan state, I, I haven't been overly impressed with. They certainly have not played well lately outside of the game against IU, which maybe says more about IU than it does about them, but they almost lost at Maryland, although Maryland, uh, you know, played well against Purdue, got blown out at Rutgers, lost at home to Wisconsin and, and just lost at Penn state. So I'm not sold that they're, uh, anything special, but I think they're in that middle tier with the, you know, Michigan, Iowa, I'm probably not as high on either from a bracketology standpoint or otherwise just really haven't beaten a lot of the teams and, you know, ran up their metrics quite a bit in the beginning of the season when they didn't play anybody in the non-conference. So I, I guess that's how I rate the top. And then, you know, the bottom is just kind of a little bit of a little bit of a mess. But I, yeah, I'd say kind of Purdue, Illinois, one tier, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Rutgers, uh, the next, then, you know, maybe Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, Indiana, the next one, and then kind of got everybody else, I, I would say. At least we're above yeah. everybody else. Any any qualms with that? We're we're barely above everybody else at this point. We are. I saw uh, Dylan at UM Hoops tweeted out uh, the Big Ten efficiency margins. We are hanging on at point two. <laughs> the, that first half against Wisconsin is really doing a lot of work for our uh, our efficiency margin uh, to, to not be negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, the second half, I would argue more than offset that. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. That is true. Yeah, really, it's probably it's really more the first half against Penn State. That's that's the one yeah, that's keeping that us, one is a uh, yeah. There, I was looking at Bart Torvik today, and it, it just he's got some different a lot a lot of different things there. I was I was looking partly he has some stuff that looks at what teams with similar resumes like how it, it panned out for them, and if you look at the one that that projects to the end of the season things are pretty favorable for for iu now he also has iu ranked pretty high um yeah so probably has a you know maybe has them winning some games that we think they probably won't win so if you project it to the end of the season it's pretty good but he also there's an option on there where you can can pick it and say to like look at it as of now the the bracketology projections are far less rosy but i was also on there and it was just looking at some of the offensive efficiency and it's just kind of like a rolling five game average and and you looked and I was like, man, what's this one that sits way up here? And that was the Penn State game. So that definitely feels like the outlier uh, at this point. I have a conspiracy theory about Bart Torvik. I think given that Wisconsin is what, like 30 and five against us over the, in the last like 20 years or, you know, whatever it is, I think he secretly bumps Indiana up because he knows Wisconsin is going to beat Indiana and he wants the wins to count a little bit more for anybody mm. who's looking at Torvik. It's my conspiracy theory. I'm gonna run. Up, I'm gonna run up by him. Yeah, see, I'm sure he'll. I'm sure he'll tell you if that's that's right. <laughs> uh, do you need to bounce? <clears throat> uh, we can do one more if you want to do one more. I think we hit all the ones that you had for me. But if there's another one that you want to hit, yeah, let's. I'm, okay, I'm let's do one. this last. Um. All right. So let's do. Don't do, uh, don't do the baseball one. I'm not prepared for that. I'm not I'm, either. I'm just waiting for hope, hoping that the Reds get 
sold to different ownership but that's we had this one for ryan about you know from karen basically you know can you fix xavier johnson's shot at this point in his career i mean i don't really think so um i mean look actually i shouldn't say that i mean you know nba guys you know kind of work on their shots and tweak things all the time so with the right instruction in the off season you could i don't think you'd want to do it right now um, but yeah, I think in the off season, you could make some improvements as long as he's, you know, willing to put in the time to kind of groove the new shot, um, which and he's a hard worker. So I would think that he would be, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I, I think back to some comments that, that coaches made on that over the course of time. And it's like, do you, do you spend your time trying to make small tweaks to kind of groove the shot that they have versus breaking it down to build it back up? And I think at this point, I mean, he's you know, 22 years old, 21, 22 years old, it probably is pretty tough to do that. But I do think there's some, I mean, there's obviously, there's kind of the hitch in it. I think sometimes he's shooting almost not at the top of his jump, but either on his way up or down, um, rewatching some of these plays. So I think there's, you know, but he's had some success this year in some of these catch and shoot situations. So maybe it's going back and looking at that. I think you can make some, but I, I don't think it's, I think at this point you're probably past the point when you would consider overhauling it entirely yeah i mean look i'm hoping that's what happens to romeo now that he's in san antonio i mean they've got one of the the most renowned shooting coaches you know who's really helped so hopefully that'll help him uh last one from tom do you feel trace is ready for the nba or will he be back for his senior year and from Wes, on a scale of zero to 10 his traces overall game leveled up as much as you thought it would this season i really thought coach wanted him to develop an outside shot instead of everything being right around the rim so this is an interesting one. Um, no, I don't think Trace is ready for the NBA, but I don't think that necessarily means he'll be back for his senior year. I think he's ready to make money playing professional basketball, you know, wherever that is, and I'm rooting for him to make it to the highest level possible. I just think it's going to be really tough for a guy with his skill set, with his combination of skill set and height, to succeed in the NBA. Um, I'm, I'm really more interested in Wes's question because, you know, I know Scott and Ryan talked about this on Crimson Cast. You know, we're all, I think, a little bit disappointed that Trace hasn't shown more elements to his game. And, you know, look, when Woody comes in and says, I'm going to do all of these things, I think it's fair to, you know, to hold the coach accountable to that. You know, I think you've kind of heard a few things in press conferences that suggest, you know, it sounds like, I mean, Woody wants to give Trace the same freedom that Race has. Trace just isn't taking it, you know? And, and I think it might just be that, and I have no idea, maybe he worked absolutely zero on his outside shot. And maybe he worked for two hours every single day to improve his outside shot. But the net result is he doesn't feel comfortable doing it in games and to the point where he's not even looking at the basket. Like it almost feels worse than his freshman and sophomore seasons, you know, where he's just totally given up on even trying to pretend he's a threat. So the coach has to get some accountability for that. But, you know, also at some point the player has to develop the skill. And if the player isn't comfortable doing it in games, you know, which race is, even as race was missing shots, he kept shooting and has gotten more comfortable. And now he's hitting a lot more and trace just again, for whatever reason, and we don't see him in practice. So I don't know where his shot is. He just doesn't even seem willing to, to even start getting the game reps with it. And I think that's, it's, that's gotta be shared responsibility. I don't know where to weight it because we don't know how much, but either way, it's a big disappointment because this team would look a lot differently if he could, you know, make a 15 footer or, you know, be even remotely credible from outside. And right now teams just don't even, he doesn't look at the basket and teams just sag completely off of him. 
Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it feels weird to to not really be able to answer the question very well because he hasn't done it enough to say that he hasn't developed it. You're left to assume that he hasn't done it enough because he doesn't trust himself enough to do it in the game. Um, yeah. And, and maybe he's, to your point, that that's where the insight on, you know, if he's taken four jumpers a game you have a pretty good idea of hey he's gotten better at this or he hasn't but he's not even taking one a game typically um and any of the three pointers he's taken have really been like late clock late shot clock or end of half situation not like not really in the flow of anything and even the other you know kind of shots he's taken where he stepped out the ones he's hit that come to mind are more in the early part of the non-conference games when there's really low pressure situations and um different things like that maybe He didn't even have an elbow jumper, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that other teams are just, yeah, just not guarding that. And at some point you almost have to take it just to keep him honest. But yeah, I think, I think his hesitance to do it would, like I said, it either suggests that hasn't developed or at the very least it hasn't developed to a point where he's confident enough to do it in a game. And, and nothing else really matters if he's not confident enough to do it in a game, whether he's worked on it or whether he hasn't it really doesn't matter if he's not going to do it in the game. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things you would love to get like a fully unfiltered answer from Woody because it, it really seems like he's willing to give him the same leash that he gave race to just, just go shoot it, just shoot him, you know, yeah. build confidence. I, just I interpret the comments the, the same way that you do in that, in that regard. I think, I think when you look at inside, it still really, really favors, you know, going over his right shoulder, um, as any left-handed player would do. Um, but I think there's even some times when, you know, he's taking, I forget if this was, I don't know if it was Tony that brought this up or, um, or coach, but you know, even some of the shots where he does turn over his other shoulder, he's still trying to shoot it with his left hand. Mm -hmm. Um, which just from an angle standpoint, you know, a lot of times he's off balance. I think that's one that, um, I think it was Tony, um, who did it in the, the film room this week where he just had some clips of his, yeah, his post ups and and the difference, and this was true even in the Wisconsin game. You know, I go back to when he had some success, even even somewhat late in the you know kind of mid to late portion of the second half, when they were running those you know rub plays and screens to get him the ball on the block. Like the difference in when he catches it, where his foot can kind of touch the restricted arc, and when he gets pushed to step out from that is crazy different. Because one of the shots in the um, that Ryan did on the film room on inside the hall today was one of the first, I think the last time they ran that play to him, he got pushed out, tried to take a left-handed jump hook, but he's, you know, pushed where he's, you know, a foot or two outside of that restricted area. And that's where he really starts to struggle. And, you know, that's not going to get easier in the NBA because he's kind of undersized to play that position there, which makes it all the more important that he gets comfortable taking some of those other jumpers or being able to step out on the floor enough to be able to put it on the floor and go by somebody. And he just, you know, I, I I don't feel like in this case, I think we we complain a lot about Stewart and, and Cop potentially not being put in situations to do certain things. I feel like he's been in situations where he could display some of those skills and has, for whatever reason, not attempted them. Yeah. Well, time's running out, Trace. So if you've been <laughs> that if you've been is. sandbagging, <laughs> now would be the time. You know, and look again, man. To Trace's credit, he was awesome against Wisconsin. You know, he really was. You know, they put him in some good positions in the first half, and he made post up works in the second half, or post ups work in the second half. 
And if Indiana is going to make anything happen over these last five games, he's got to be awesome. You know, he just does. As limited as his skill set is, he's got to find ways to be awesome. And he can do it with energy and by being more athletic and just, you know, even on a night when some of those post-ups aren't falling, if he can get offensive rebounds, if he can run the floor, if he can do some of those things to create offense, he's just got to. You know, that Northwestern game was a real missed opportunity because it felt like a game, you know, even against a team that plays decent interior defense where he's just got to make something happen. And so if the Wisconsin game... It may just, you know, be kind of a one night thing, you know, because we've seen that happen from Trace before. But if he's ready, if that's a sign of things to come down the stretch, Indiana's got a chance to make something happen here over these last few games. Uh, if it's not, obviously, it's it's going to be really, really hard. All right. Well, Andy, thanks for being here. And yeah. thank you to everybody who is here live. All right. Let's just let's get to Jeff's question real quick about baseball. Who you got? I honestly have no idea who's good. White Sox and Reds. Just go with them. Uh, I I know one of those is not a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I know. can't speak to the other, but I know one of them is not a good choice. I don't know anything about baseball anymore. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing the music, and thanks to John Ringer of Riggs Design for designing our logos. And as always, thank you for listening. We will talk to you guys on Monday after IU Ohio State. And until then, take it from me, native Hoosier Mark Titus. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers! All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Shoot the ball. Yo, this is Sneep Dio Double Dizzle. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Uh, I'm calling it a, well, I'm calling it a night for this. I got to probably do some bracketology. Do some bracketology stuff. So fun times await. So anyway. All right. Good show. Cool. Thanks for everybody uh, for joining us. And then uh, you know, weird weekend off from. I know. My you maybe maybe much needed for some. I think other than the, let's just enjoy some the, basketball. Other than the women's team, those should be uh, those should be those should be good with uh, there we go with Iowa. So chat comment of the night. <clears throat> I blame Ryan for all of IU. Yeah. It really did start to go downhill when Ryan enrolled at Indiana. We really should look at that. <laughs> we really maybe, should. Maybe. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. See you, Andy. Um, I have a few extra minutes here. Uh, were there a couple extra questions? I know we said it was an ask us anything. So if you guys have any questions in the chat, uh, that you're interested in me answering, I'd be happy to do it. There was a, there a couple other questions I want to get to here. Phil said, we've only heard great things about the character of the team until the curfew five incident. I guess that's how they're going to be referred to now, which is fair. We've had criticisms of their ability to respond to adversity on the court, but off the court, they were stand-up guys. Have we been misled in order to maintain IU's reputation as a clean program? Man, I don't know. I don't know enough about these guys, really, I think, to answer that properly. But I would also say, I, I mean, look, you know, missing curfew, leaving, showing that level of disrespect to your teammates, to what your coaches want, that is not a good thing. Um, 
you know, I, I still don't, they didn't get in trouble when they went out, you know, so, but they, they just, they violated a team rule that they shouldn't have. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not, you know, good guys or even stand up guys, perhaps they may have just been young guys that made a mistake. And so, you know, I think we should hold space for that. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's interesting, you know, the ability to respond to adversity on the court. You know, I think that's more a function of, again, you know, we have a lot of guys that haven't had a whole lot of success in college basketball. Like I went back and looked at Pitt. Xavier Johnson was never on a winning team at Pittsburgh. You know, we're asking him now to be the steady hand of a team that's going to make the NCAA tournament. His talent suggests it. We've seen him do it. So again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold that expectation. It's just maybe a little bit of a higher degree of difficulty than what we thought, you know, maybe for him to have that level of consistency. Hopefully he can get it toward the end of the season. But some of the other guys, it's kind of the same thing. So, you know, I, I think we've got, you know, good guys who do the right things for the most part. And I'm, but I'm glad Woody kind of laid down the law and, and told him um, what would be acceptable and, and what would not be. So, but I don't, I wouldn't extrapolate that to making judgments about whether they're stand up guys or not. We just don't know enough. Uh, from Blake, Cohen Carr, thoughts? I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him, so I cannot make a statement. Yeah, he's got elite athleticism, but I haven't seen him enough. Um, let's see. There was one other question here that got submitted. Maybe maybe this is the question. Uh, Jamil, is this the question? So Sean says, what's different about Indiana? There's so many examples of major college jobs where new coaches come in and immediately have drastic improvement quickly. Texas, Marquette, to name a few. Is it possible we're the fans, the expectations we hold the problem? Um, I do think Indiana fans and our growing impatience can cause a problem because I think it can make the tone on social media. And unfortunately, that is part of reality now, you know, because players see it. You know, Woody even mentioned it. That tone gets more toxic, you know, by the year. It was not like that, you know, early on when Tom Crean was struggling. But that's also partly because he came in and had those two really good seasons, you know, and so he always kind of had that. So there was frustration, but now it's just built and built and built. It's part of why I said what I said during segment two today, because I felt myself getting caught up in it. And I really felt like we needed a little bit of a pushback to bring some balance here. Like, I get it. You know, there's some struggles, but like, let's be fair to a new coach. Let's try to add some perspective and take a bigger picture uh, view on it. And so I think, you know, as fans, our passion, our knowledge to a certain extent, maybe which can sometimes lead to a little bit of maybe uh, arrogance and entitlement. I do think there's a little bit of that there because of what a lot of IU fans have experienced and feel like we should have. I think that can be a problem, but I think the net impact of IU fans is still positive because even through the struggles, IU fans are still here. They're still supporting, you know, recruits still see the impact of my God, this fan base is crazy, you know, and you can still, you know, assembly hall still has magic like it did for the Purdue game because the fans for the most part, you know, the loyal ones have stayed connected with the program. So, you know, I really think, you know, what's different about Indiana I just think the pro, you know, Galen talks about this a lot on Crimson Cast. The program has just been mismanaged for so long, you know, and we are now so far behind other Big Ten programs in terms of stability. And it just becomes a more uphill battle every single year. And so we just, we've got to hit on the right coach and then we have to give that coach time. 
We hoped it was Tom Crean. It wasn't. We hoped it was Kelvin Sampson. It wasn't. We hoped it was Archie Miller. So I really think, you know, what's different about Indiana is there's enough of that past accomplishment and the tradition and the fan loyalty and all of that stuff to keep Indiana relevant, even when the results on the court really don't suggest relevancy. But the further and further we get from the actual on-court relevancy, it makes the job more difficult as other Big Ten schools just, you know, especially the ones that we're looking up at in the standings, you know, they keep building on what they already have and we're always starting over. At some point, we have to not start over and have a guy who's here like Mac Painter has been for 17 years, you know, or get to your five or six or seven with a trajectory that's pointing up and showing some consistency. And we just haven't for whatever reason. But I think most of it just goes to a lot of mismanagement of the program and some hires that didn't end up being right. You know, I, I will never absolve the fans of the responsibility that we have. You know, I do think we have a responsibility to try to manage our frustration and try to be careful about we put out what we put out in the public because recruits see it, players see it, parents see it. And so we should be mindful of that. Um, but I still think ultimately Indiana fans are a net positive for the program. Um, let's see the curfew five. Yeah. That's what people are referring to them as, uh, Megan, what time are you thinking for a call tomorrow? We do need to chat. Um, I don't know, maybe afternoon or I will, I'll email you, Jack. Do you think IU makes the tourney? Mm. I want to believe Indiana is going to make the tournament, but if you're just asking me to analyze objectively and I had to put any amount of money on it, I would say no, that they don't. Because I just don't think they're just behind the eight ball now with their resume. I thought 11 and nine all along. Now it seems like it'll be a real challenge to get to 10 and 10. And 10 and 10 might do it, you know, but then you might also have to win in the Big Ten tournament. And it's tough to assume that we're going to do that. So it seems to me like it's more likely that Indiana won't do it. I sure hope they do. You know, I'm going to be rooting for it. I'll probably talk myself into it as the games get closer. But here in the sober moment of late Thursday night with a game still more than 72 hours away. I, I, I think it's hard to see. I really do. Um, and I hope that that's proven wrong. Um, let's see here. Is my hairline ever going to recede? I don't know. I think I might've, I think I got my mom's hair. Um, so I think I got lucky there. Um, Let's see. As Megan says, as a reminder, at one point we had guys basically running over a teammate with a car. Curfew violation is not great, but also not horrific. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, if other stuff has been going on, we don't know about it. So it's hard to... It's, I just think feel like it's really hard to judge that. Yeah, Joel, never forget the Samson players. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, Anything else here? Yeah, as coach says, the IU issue is hiring coaches that did not work out. I mean, it really is because every time that you have to start over and, you know, like it's always, I guess, easy in hindsight, you know, because we all like the Archie hire. Everybody liked the Archie hire. Gary Parrish, you know, said he couldn't even fathom how it wouldn't work. And yet it didn't. And in hindsight, it kind of seems obvious why it didn't, right? Everything always seems more obvious in hindsight. But at the end of the day, like you just have to get those hires right. And 
you know, excuse making, explaining it away, all that stuff. You just have to get it right at some point or make it work. And Indiana just hasn't been able to do that. And that's why we are where we are. Uh, Jared, just remember that we're never going to be as bad as Kentucky fans who were wanting to fire Cal after last year. That is true. Uh, Joel's picking IU to finish 12th in the Big Ten next year. I disagree with that. I'm actually relatively, I mean, we have to see the roster. Um, but I have some optimism about what Indiana can do next year, depending on who's back. Um, but it's, I think to me, race Thompson is the most important guy. If race comes back, I think we can be better next year than we are this year. Um, but a whole lot of variables that need to be determined before we even start thinking about that. Um, how many of the fourth year juniors come back next season? I would, I don't know, man. I think it, I, I, I really think there's a chance race comes back because I think it just makes sense. You know, I think there, it might be appealing to him to kind of be the featured guy in, in Woody's system. I think you'd really see him functioning well as a small ball five, you know, where Indiana has a lot more space to operate and not just someone parked on the block. I mean, he can do both things, um, you know, and then you've got, you know, a backup big and dunk him and maybe someone else that you get in the transfer portal, you know, for the matchups where you need them. Um, you know, but then, you know, especially, I don't want to put too much pressure on hood Shafino as a freshman. I would love to get X back as well. You know, he's imperfect, but I think he's, I think it would be helpful to at least have him there. Um, so I've got some optimism about next season. If, if race Thompson comes back, um, I think that would be really, really important. Yes. Matt Painter has been at Purdue for 17 years. It's crazy. And they were terrible his first year in part because Gene Cady had obviously struggled. I think Purdue was 188th the year before Painter took over. Um, and then he slowly, but steadily built it up. He was much better in year two than year one. Um, a great dad moment recently. Oh gosh, that's a good one. Um, a great dad moment. There's so many of them. Well, for the first time, my son is a mama's boy. Like he is a straight up mama's boy, which is totally cool. You know, he's just, he's comfortable with his mama and he's got a great mama. So I totally understand why. So typically if I'm in the room and she's in the room, he is lunging for her, right? Like he wants to go to her. And for the first time now he's cool with me. Like if it's just the two of us, like it's awesome. And he's actually more chill with me than he is with her. Um, but for the first time the other day, she was holding him and he lunged for me. And I thought that was awesome. Uh, I was very excited about that. Uh, cause that, that doesn't usually happen. Um, and my daughter got to be the star student in school last week, which she was extremely excited about. So they send like Mickey and Minnie home. It's, it's really cool actually. And they've got a little journal and all the kids, like they take pictures with the Mickey and Minnie dolls, like on their adventures kind of throughout the weekend. Uh, you know, so we were going and, you know, doing different stuff with the Mickey and Minnie dolls. Uh, and then they, you know, they get to kind of write a journal, but you get to go through and like, look at what all the other kids do. So it's a really cool way to get to learn about your classmates. Uh, and then she got to do show and tell. So she had to get up in front of the class and explain why these items were important to her. So we were talking about that and she was saying, you know, she wasn't nervous. She just got up there and, you know, told him about it. So that was, uh, that was really exciting. It was really fun to see her be so excited about it and then kind of involve the whole family, uh, in it. And then right, we were doing bedtime right before I came on the show and my wife and my son, they were getting ready to walk out 
And my daughter's like, family hug. And so we had this really awesome, you know, group hug and everybody's kind of like laughing and being silly. Those are, those are the fun dad moments. I love that stuff. Last night, she woke me up at 1.30 and then at like three o'clock in the morning because she couldn't sleep. And so I went and read her books. That's the stuff, man. I love that stuff. Those are great bonding moments. You know, a little tired now. didn't get as much sleep, but I wouldn't trade that stuff for anything. Um, will Mike Woodson succeed? I don't know, Jack. I really don't. Um, I just think, I think it's too early to judge. I think there's, I think there's a lot of reasons. Okay. Here's what I would say to me right now. I think there are more reasons to think he will succeed than he won't, but there are more reasons to think he won't than I was hoping or expecting in year one. Maybe that's the best way that I can say it. So I'm still optimistic I think there are actual things you can point to, like the defense improving and the culture stuff and some recruiting stuff to really like hard stuff to grasp onto where it's like, okay, we turn some important things around and they're getting better. But some of the other stuff I, I wasn't expecting to kind of feel this concerned about in year one. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Still fully think we should be patient. I think the narrative has gone a little bit off the rails and we've gotten a little bit too crazy um, in part because of how the last six years have gone, but I do get some of it. So hopefully that stuff will improve as we move forward. Can we beat Ohio state on Monday? We can, we already beat them once, but they're undefeated at home. They are really good. That is not a place that we've really played well. I don't know, since what, 2012, 2013, have we won there since then? I don't even remember. Um, you know, so we certainly can, I don't think we will, but we can. Um, is Trey Galloway a future all big 10 player? I would bet on Trey Galloway because I just believe in his attitude. I believe in his work ethic. Uh, and I think he'll, you know, I think you can improve as a shooter. He doesn't need to be great. He's just got to improve. And so if he can get into the mid thirties as a three point shooter, um, then I think he can do it. So I will bet on him. Will Lander be around next year? I don't know. And I don't, I wouldn't even speculate about it because who knows? Um, yes, Joel, he, he did like the bear. I, I took pictures and I meant to send them to you. He was a little, so he was sick right when I got home. We actually, we had kind of some scary stuff happen right when I got home. Um, so I didn't get to give it to him right away, uh, but he's been playing with it recently. I'm going to send you some pictures. I forgot to do that. Will he be a Hoosier in four years? I think so. You know, I mean, I hope he develops and I think he can certainly see some time as an upperclassman, just as a guy who does the right things and can make shots. You know, there are a lot of guards coming in, so there's going to be competition, but you just really get the sense that he loves Indiana and I think understands what it will mean for him long-term to be a Hoosier. And so while he could probably go somewhere and get more playing time, you know, the the long-term impact of being at IU, graduating at IU. I mean, just being an eternal fan favorite. He seems like a guy who really understands the value of that um, and understands, you know, and, and loves having his family close and all of those things. So, I mean, I would predict yes, but you know, that's, that's just guessing. He also, if he's not getting enough playing time at some point may say, I want to play because I believe I have more to offer a team. So I wouldn't guarantee it, but I would expect it. Um, do you think Trace may come back or transfer? I don't think so. I mean, I just think he's, it has seemed, I mean, we now we said this after, you know, during last season too, that 
you know, he's just ready to go. So there's no chance he comes back. And then he did, but there was a big change and, you know, there was kind of reason for that, um, you know, with Woody coming in. So I would, I would be shocked, honestly. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's getting, he's getting older now, you know, he's a junior. Um, and you know, I'm sure he believes that he's ready to be an NBA player, regardless of what we think. And I wish him luck on that, but he's probably ready for, uh, to get his professional basketball career started. And, you know, that probably in, in a lot of ways is probably the best decision for him, uh, to do that, depending on, on, you know, what he could get NIL wise, uh, if he stays at Indiana, if Indiana goes three and two down the stretch and finishes 19 and 11, 10 and 10, they would be ahead of the 1920 season. And that team was in by all accounts. We'd probably have Iowa in the big 10 tourney. Yeah, you know, they're, they're back, they're, they've been tracking pretty closely with that team uh, until the four-game losing streak. It just it depends on what people do around them. You know, if Indiana goes 3-2, and two, so they lose to Ohio State, they lose to Purdue, but they beat Rutgers, Minnesota, and Maryland, they're going to have a chance. At that point, it's just going to depend on what the other teams around them do and then what they do in the Big Ten tournament. You know, the problem is, and Andy kind of laid it out, Indiana's going to lose a lot of tiebreakers, right? Like they don't have a good non-conference schedule. If they haven't beaten Ohio State and Purdue, they'll have a high volume of wins, but not enough of those wins against the top two quadrants. And so when you start comparing them to the other schools around there, you know, three and two, depending, again, depending on the makeup of what those wins are, it's just going to be tough. So they, they could at that point, but that's why to me, as you start like playing out the scenarios, you know, if you were to kind of simulate the season out, Indiana would probably miss the tournament more than they would make it, which I guess is why that would be my prediction. Um, now you go four and one, you change that narrative and you're probably in, but that's just going to be tough to do. Tony, did she put IU gear on Mickey and Minnie? Uh, no, she did not. She just, she liked their, their normal gear. Uh, you know, my daughter is, uh, she likes, uh, you know, rainbows and pinks and, and some of that stuff. So she does have some IU gear uh, like that, but haven't haven't quite gotten her fully. She was wearing it for a couple of games. And so, you know, I, I told her because she wore it for the Nebraska game that we won on the road. She wore it for the Purdue game. She wore it for one other game that we wore. She hasn't worn it the last few games. And so before the Wisconsin game, I mean, it was going to be on before she was going to bed. So I said, you know, my dear would you mind wearing the Indiana shirt to bed? <laughs> She's like, why do you want to pick my pajamas tonight? It's like, well, I just think it's a little superstition. The team was playing well when, you know, when you were wearing this shirt. And so, but she kind of took it the wrong way. And she was like, so are you saying it's my fault they're losing? And I'm like, oh man. I was like, no, 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 it's not your fault they're losing. It's just superstition. It's kind of fun. And so I, <laughs> I had to, I had to kind of pick up the pieces from that because I think she thought that I was blaming her, which I wasn't. But I mean, like, put the damn shirt on so we can start winning again. Come on. Um, you know, this is getting serious here. So I'm going to try. I'm going to try my best to get that shirt on her. But she's not a huge fan of the way that it fits. She likes dresses that really fit well. She's very particular about what she wears. But I just got to work on her more. Um, will Bates progressively get better or will it be a switch that suddenly flips on? That's a good question. I mean, you know, it, it seems like he's, he's dealt with a lot this season. Um, you know, by all accounts, just with, you know, family member passing away and, you know, different things that have gone on his role kind of, you know, changing. 
Um, so, you know, I think it, it makes some sense why he's perhaps struggled to adapt more as a freshman than we would have expected. I don't think that should change the long-term projection for what he can be. And we've still seen it in flashes. So I wouldn't like, I, again, I don't know, maybe that switch flips on toward the end of the season. It'd be awesome if it did, because he could change the trajectory of what Indiana is doing down the stretch. If, if the switch just flipped on, that'd be great. But I feel like more he might pop up for another game or two this season. But then as next season starts, we're like, whoa, that guy's a lot better. Because that happens sometimes, freshman to you know to sophomore. That I think is probably more likely. So the, the switch flips on, but it is like all off season into next season, and then it kind of seems like a new guy. Um, these are great questions. Thank you. Uh is Woodson keeping the seat warm for Fife? Not sure they see him as long-term love Dane. Yeah, I mean, Dane Fife has done a lot for Indiana basketball. Um, I like Dane too. I don't, I really don't think he's keeping the seat warm for Fife. I mean, Fife seems to, his comments in the preseason seem to think that. And I would certainly think that he would get the opportunity um, to do that. But, but I don't know. I guess that's the best way that I can answer that. I don't know because I think so much of it will depend on, okay, now that he's here as an assistant, you know, what is the impact that he has? What are the relationships that he develops with people internally in the program? You know, is he, are, are he and Woody so close that, you know, Woody's ready to say like, this is the guy that I want to take over? Because if this thing goes according to plan, you know, Woody is here for as long as he can be. I mean, he's in his mid-60s, so maybe five to ten years, and things go so well that he's kind of able to name his successor, you know, that would be that would be the ideal situation. So then at that point, what is their relationship like? Is Dane still here? You know, so but I don't think like I wouldn't I don't think Woody sees it as him keeping the seat warm for Fife, I guess is the thing that I would say. Um, but I also, I have such limited knowledge on what's actually going on there. So take everything that I just said with a grain of salt, because I really don't know. Favorite office character. (sighs) Um, I mean, it's gotta be Michael, like, which is kind of a cop out answer, but I think it has to be Michael. He's ridiculous, but he's such a fascinating character because he's so ridiculous and does so many dumb things and yet kind of at the heart of it is just kind of this lonely guy that wants to have a family so he's a tragic figure in some ways and a hilarious figure in other ways and he's the catalyst for everything that happens on the show um now i I love dwight because i think dwight does funny stuff i think um you know kevin is funny they're all funny in their own ways Uh, but if i had to pick a favorite it would be it would be michael because the writing of that character is it's one of the most brilliantly written characters of any show I think that I've ever seen. So I really like him. Tomorrow needs 10 pounds of muscle. Yes. Ryan said in chat earlier that there were troubles happening with Dane and recruits. I can't speak to that stuff. I don't really know any of those things. Um, so I would not be able to, to speak on that stuff. Um, are we surprised by some of these in-game coaching decisions with Thad in the mix? I don't know because I don't know what that relationship is or how much input um, Thad has. So it's tough to say. I, look, I, you know, one of the things that I was most worried about coming into the season was 
okay, so Woody's a new college coach. We've kind of got this shotgun marriage with him and Thad Mata. Uh, Kenya Hunter's going to stay here, and he's going to keep Kenya Hunter because you know he's a good recruiter, but they don't have a pre-existing relationship. Fife is being brought in; they don't have a pre-existing relationship. You know, I think Yasir Rosemond was brought in in part because of relationships to other people Woody had relationships with, but they never worked together before. So again, you're going into this conference that is dominated by stable programs with stable coaching staffs. And not only do you have a college coach in his first season, he's working with all coaches he's never worked with before. I mean, he brought in Armand Hill and that, you know, I'm sure he just wanted someone that he's worked with before. Like all of those things together add up to increase the degree of difficulty, which is why I think the rhetoric of there's no excuse for them to not make the tournament and all of this stuff. I don't buy that. I think they should make the tournament. I think it's a disappointment if they don't. I think that's a fair expectation. But if it doesn't happen, there's going to be a lot of things that we can look at to explain why it didn't happen. And they won't necessarily excuse it, but they will explain it. And there'll be things that we should look at and say, you know, it's it's hard to do in the Big Ten. And I think that's one of them. So I have lots of questions about how those relationships work. You know, are they listening to each other? Who's got input? Like all of this stuff. Because some of the decisions that get made and some of the stuff that you see late game, it doesn't feel like a program that's kind of all on the same page. And yet, you know, they've been together for 20-some games. So it's kind of hard to fully expect them to be on the same page enough to win at a high level in a conference like this. I'm just saying we should enter that into account before we just say, boy, they really blew it against Wisconsin as if, you know, there's no excuse for why some of those things might have happened or no explanation for why some of those things might have happened. Um, it's, it's just not black or white to me. But as that stuff gets better, now I think you've got a high ceiling for how high the staff and the program can rise because of some of the other built-in stuff. But those to me are real challenges. Um favorite of your recruits in the 2023 class. Well, I love uh 2022. So I guess that would be Hood Shafino. You know, Hood Shafino is 2022. Um, I love, I mean, right now it's Cups and Newton. I love both of those guys. Um, and I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to who else they're targeting in that class. Um, all right. <clears throat> I should go to bed because my daughter will probably get up at some point tonight and want me to read books. And so I will need to do that. But thank you all for being here. A lot of fun. I always appreciate answering these questions. Uh, please explain the second half timeout up five with momentum versus Wisconsin at the 10 minute mark. It resulted in a turnover and is still go- giving me nightmares. Um, okay. If I remember that correctly, well, I don't remember being that concerned with it in the moment. I remember being surprised because Woody hasn't seemed to be one to take timeouts at those moments. Um, but I don't, I don't recall. I mean, look, Indiana has actually been pretty good out of timeouts. Um, so I don't know exactly what he was thinking there. Um, but I don't know. In the moment, it didn't bother me that much. You know, I, clearly, you know, it was a turnover afterwards, so they didn't execute out of it. Um, but I actually think that there's more instances of times where I've wondered why would he didn't take a timeout at a certain point. Um, and maybe you're right. Maybe at that point it was, you know, we had the momentum and he shouldn't have. I guess I would have to go review that quicker. I just don't recall being too concerned about it in the moment. All right. I'll say goodbye for like the 10th time now tonight. But thanks for being here, everybody. And we will talk to you guys Monday. Oh, and listen to Crimson Cast. Good episode between, uh, good chat between Scott and Tony. 
good chat then between Scott and Ryan. Um, but two really good episodes. We love those guys at Crimson Cast. Support them, subscribe to them. They do good work. And we will talk to you guys on Monday night.